guys, this is El Serpentico, and you're listening to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reference Show. And now, the wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, The Whole Reference Show. So glad to have you tune in to the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, the whole Reffin Show. I am Darren Beasley. I am Perry Smith. And uh, it's just uh, just a couple of guys, your old pals Darren and Perry, and we're just palling around. We're here for all kinds of wrestle talk and. Uh, Wrestle news and wrestle views. That's that's how we do it around here. Just a couple of pals, you know, paying each other via PayPal, uh, <laughs> watching VHS tapes on a pal format. You know, baby, it's right. uh, that's what we do. <laughs> We're looking for sometimes we for pen pals. There you go. All right. You would love a pen pal. You you would. I, I know people who have actually had like pen pals. You know, this is back in the day before email. Actually, how to write letters to people. Um, I, I bet you love writing letters, don't you, Darren? You're the kind of guy who would love writing a letter. I love that I'm so uh, so easily figured out. You know, <laughs> you know, it's really funny you say that, and this is a good time to say this. I had someone else tell me that they ran into a guy who knows me, and I would, I'm not going to say his name, but. I'm not going to say anybody's name here, but a person ran into me and told me that they ran into this guy who used to date this girl, and she and I, well, we're going to just leave it all alone. But uh, this guy, apparently, uh, in reference to me, apparently something came up about the whole reffing show. Uh Uh-oh. You know, it's the only wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle. I say, I like this guy already. Oh, yeah, Darren Beasley. Yeah. He seems like the kind of guy who would have a podcast. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Do you have a podcast? See, don't do that. Don't, don't you dare. Darren, Darren, don't you dare Darren, engineer this logic. Darren, do you have a podcast? I have a podcast, and I like to write letters. <laughs> Damn it! Let me. World. You didn't, you didn't let me give you the one, too. You only let me give you the one. I was going to then ask you, do you like to write letters? So See, I can't do it. I'm with Fiona Apple. This world is bullshit. Leave me alone. Like Michael Jackson said, leave me alone. <laughs> okay, okay, fair enough, fair enough. I, I, I'm pretty sure that I know you better uh, than the guy uh, in question who shall remain nameless. Uh, so I'm just going to leave it at that. But uh, I, I know for a fact also that you you do have a podcast, but I know for a fact that you do enjoy writing letters because you enjoy writing. Of course, I've made many jokes throughout the years about how much you enjoy writing a list, um, which I actually enjoy writing lists also. Typically, there are lists of like to-dos and goals, and most of them never actually get finished. Um, that, that's on me, though. So. Huh. You seem like the guy. You seem like the kind of guy who would make a list. <laughs> well, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good. It feels great. It feels good. 
I'm glad that uh, you accurately uh, described myself to myself. I appreciate it very much. Um, so don't let that get you down, Darren. Don't let you get it down. Well, well, you know, everything gets me down these days. But uh, except, for, except for good wrestling and talking about wrestling and all the love we get from our dear listeners and uh, putting out uh, our, our product into the world. That makes me feel really good. And we're going to do that today here on episode 92. <laughs> wow, we're getting ever so closer to episode 100. On episode 92 today, we're going to talk about Brock Lesnar making a huge appearance nowhere near a wrestling ring. <laughs> uh, also, going to a couple weeks ago, I said we were going to spend a little bit of time with uh, Mauro Ranallo's Showtime documentary about his battles uh, with mental health. That's coming out in uh, theaters soon, right? Uh, it's Mamma Mia 2. That, that, that's Mauro, right? <laughs> Is that not Mauro Ranallo? Oh, that was good. That oh, was good. thank you. No, thank you. In fact, it is called Bipolar Rock and Roller. I've heard of that, sure. And in addition to that, we're going to talk about New Japan and their G1 special in San Francisco for the legendary Cal Palace. We're going to see some NJPW. We're going to see Defending of IWGP. And uh, it's a good, good show. A lot better than what WWE is doing these days. But... <laughs> We, we would be remiss if we did not stay true to uh, the nature of this very podcast and, and, and bring you all the, the latest news on WWE, and that includes coverage of their network specials, formerly known as pay-per-view events. So we're going to talk about extreme rules, and we're going to make our picks, my picks, your picks. They're going to go against one another. In a little segment we, that we uh, typically call Head to Head. Head to Head. But before we do all of that wondrous roping and raising Broncos, we got to take care of these headlines. Last week at UFC 226, former UFC heavyweight champion and current WWE Universal Champion, if anybody remembers him from that role. Of course, we're talking about Brock Lesnar, NCAA Champion, former WWE Champion, Undisputed Champion, World Champion, Universal Champion, UFC Heavyweight Champion, not quite a Minnesota Viking, but Brock Lesnar stepping into the octagon, uh, not, of course, before pulling down his suit pants over his cowboy boots. He, uh, he looked a fool, if you will, <laughs> hopping into the octagon to uh, very hastily challenge the brand new UFC heavyweight champion, Daniel Cormier, who had just KO'd Stipe Miocic, the UFC heavyweight champion, long-reigning UFC heavyweight champion. Daniel Cormier, who fought, uh, and, well, has fought at multiple weight levels in UFC, and has captured titles there. Daniel Cormier, this is sort of boyhood dream, Shawn Michaels-type scenario where he finally wins this belt, makes a huge name for himself, and then some pro wrestler decides to walk into the octagon, and by decides to walk in, I mean escorted in by Dana White. <laughs> and then Joe Rogan all but humped his leg. He was so happy to see him. But, uh... So yeah, so Brock Lesnar, of course, made waves. He went in. Uh, he said nobody in the UFC heavyweight division was worth a shit. 
He called Daniel Cormier a quote-unquote motherfucker. Uh, and he shoved him clear across the octagon. Now, while he does this, every single person uh, in the octagon, including everyone in Cormier's camp, including Cormier, has a big, goofy grin on their face, which says to me, boy, not only is this a work, this is just pro wrestling. And I haven't seen Brock Lesnar put on this good of a pro wrestling performance in years. It turns out he had to leave pro wrestling to remember how to behave like a pro wrestler. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously this was uh, Vince McMahon and, and Dana White concocted this plan long ago. And, uh, and I guess they want to keep the belt on Brock Lesnar going into this next UFC fight. So, I mean, if, only, if, if, if... The only the, way I'm okay with that is if he wears it on his shoulder. Right, but the thing is, if the Universal Champion is also the UFC Champion, <laughs> that's kind of badass, right? I mean, that's very badass. I agree. That's why I say if he walks to the octagon with that fruit roll-up belt on his shoulder... It does a lot for that belt. It does a lot for that belt. It does. Um, Joe Rogan, I know, had a lot of positive things to say about uh, Brock Lesnar coming back and everything. And, and Lesnar is way beyond the point of like, oh, we do it for real here, boy. You know, we do real fighting because Lesnar is, he's, he's beating some ass in UFC, former champion, all that stuff. Um, so we, now we have like worlds colliding with uh, Lesnar fighting a, a champion and potentially becoming a UFC champion again while holding the universal title. Like, that's a pretty big deal. And you, you can't synchronize that any other way, you know, because one, you can be booked to win. The other one, you have to legit win. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's interesting. And obviously, it puts a lot of eyes on uh, on Lesnar's WWE Championship. Uh, but I'm sure the wrestlers in the, in the locker room are just like, oh, good, yay. That'll stay on Brock even longer. Yeah, I mean, and I, and I don't like that part. I really don't like that part. So what do you do? What could you do? What should you do? You should promote the hell out of that WWE Championship that AJ Styles is wearing. But they don't. Right. They don't do it. Instead, they got Roman Reigns. We'll talk about this later. But Roman Reigns and Bobby Lashley, they're feuding over who has the more rightful claim to be the rightful champion that they aren't. It's just like, <laughs> it's the most pointless feud ever. Right. Roman Reigns, who's been, uh, who's, who's countless times have, has lost uh, to uh, Brock Lesnar at this point. Bobby Lashley, who's been away from the company for a very long time and has only won a handful of matches since he's been back. But all of a sudden, they're both number one contender, right, to the Universal Championship. That makes a, that makes a lot of sense. That makes me furious is what it makes. I know, I know. So, I mean, this, this is only good news for both UFC and WWE because Lesnar, people will tune in to watch Lesnar fight someone. Um, that's just the way it is. And wrestling fans, UFC fans alike... I mean, it did this. This will never bring UFC fans over to watch wrestling. It, that just won't happen. Um, but I mean, just the exposure is great, and that's all Vince McMahon cares about anymore. So whatever, cool. Yeah, and, it's, and that's and what Dana is looking for. Is he's looking for that Brock spark again? Nobody sells UFC pay per views like Brock Lesnar. That is undeniable fact. Look at 
their buy rates. Brock Lesnar is a gold mine for Dana White. Now, one side note of, of the, oh, it irks me to no end, is how Joe Rogan craps all over professional wrestling. And yet, you know what he loves more than anything? When UFC looks and acts like professional wrestling. Rogan doesn't, uh, I've actually listened to a lot of Joe Rogan on just random YouTube clips, stuff like that. I mean, he mentions wrestling, he'll, he'll be the first one to, to tell you that it's fake and everything, but he's been pretty fair when they talk about some stuff, too, as well. Like, I mean, he, he's, he, admittedly, he said, like, you know, you have to be an athlete, it, it is very dangerous, you can't fake falling down repeatedly. He's actually been pretty fair, because I, I've heard a lot of people, you included, kind of put him down and say that he just shits on professional wrestling. Um, as far as when when anyone compares it to UFC, I can tell where he'd be like, but no, it's not. You know, he becomes like Jim Cornette if you compare today's wrestling to wrestling from the '80s. You know, just like it's not the same thing. Um, but um, he's actually pretty fair as far as what I have heard Joe Rogan talk about uh, as far as wrestling goes. So that, 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 that's all. That's all. Okay, well, I didn't know that you were such a, a Joe Rogan apologist. But, I am uh, not. I am not. I, I, I like Joe Rogan. Uh, I agree with about 70% of what he says. Um, but who agrees with 100% of what anyone else says? I, I don't agree with 100% of what I say, Darren. Um, so there's that. That's that's weird. I agree with 110% of what I say. <laughs> well, that that's a fake number because you can only do 100%, Darren. I don't want to get into a statistics. Uh, statistics. When people say they, they're going to give the 110%, that's not possible because if you think you're giving 110%, really you're just giving the 100% that you, you didn't realize you could give. Maybe you can't. <laughs> Okay, fair enough. So uh, the I will say I like Joe Rogan. I, lo I love Joe Rogan as a UFC commentator. I like Joe Rogan's stand-up. I will say, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, Dennis Leary used to say that there's no more drugs for us to do because Keith Richards has done them all. Right. Um, I think any that Keith Richards might have missed, Joe Rogan has done. Oh. So definitely here in 2018, I'll say Joe Rogan has done his share of drugs, and my share, and your share, and all of your <laughs> listeners' share. Hey, kids, stay away from DMT. It's not good for your brain, no matter what Joe Rogan says. Of course, also, getting punched in the face in the octagon is also not good for your brain. But uh, Fair enough. Most, most combat sports are not good for your brain. But Brock Lesnar, the earliest we're going to see this fight, I believe, is January there was a lot of talk about possibly seeing it in November, but I believe it will be January before we see this fight. Does that mean we don't see Brock Lesnar on WWE programming until after January? Is he essentially holding this Universal title hostage? It would be... Well, that, that's already the case, Darren. He's been Universal Champion for over a year. Um, it, it's very unfortunate because... The at this point it's like oh he should be universal champion going into this UFC match. Um, it's not like he'll drop it and then get it back later. Also, why would he? Why would he do quote unquote fake fighting if he risks an injury? You know, going into his UFC fight. So I mean, it's it's now things are even more complicated than they already were. Uh, so I'm interested to see where things are going. Well, also the optics of him dropping the universal title. Before going into the octagon, doesn't matter if you 
know or think or don't think that wrestling is fake, regardless of your position or your understanding of sports entertainment. Him losing that belt just doesn't look good right. when he's going to go challenge for the UFC belt. It's very complicated, and time, like the time, all of the time that's involved with this only makes it worse. Well, the sad thing is, at this point, we're so used to Universal Champion... We're so used to the Universal Championship not really being a factor that it's kind of like, well, he might as well hold it forever because at this point, what does it even matter anymore? But that would be great, like you said, if they actually just elevated the SmackDown Live Championship and actually made that the main event of their shows when the Universal Championship was not being defended, but they've yet to do that, which makes AJ Styles look bad. Um, but we'll get into more of that later on when we talk about our Extreme Rules head-to-head. Head-to-head. But if you're talking about the Octagon and pro wrestling, you, you, you gotta you got to bring a guy up who, who, who has been a part of all of that action and more. And that, of course, is your current NXT lead announcer, Mauro Ranallo. Now, we mentioned a couple of weeks ago on uh, The Whole Reffin Show that we were going to talk about Bipolar Rock and Roller. And uh, this is as good a time as any. Bipolar Rock and Roller, the name of the documentary, produced and aired by Showtime Network, that featured um, a raw, a raw and candid and... Smackdown Live (laughs) and NXT. (laughs) Painful and, and, and in my personal uh, opinion... Shocking, shocking look at the life of Mauro Ronaldo, uh, who suffers from bipolar affective disorder, also known by the shorter name of just bipolar disorder, uh, formerly known as manic depression. Uh, this uh, was a very, very well-made documentary. As listeners of our show know, I am a very big fan of Mauro Ronaldo. Mauro Ronaldo is one of my favorite announcers. Uh, in all of combat sports today, um, Mauro Ronaldo got a raw deal uh, over on SmackDown. We talked about that. At- <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you can't say he got a raw deal over on SmackDown. I'm sorry. I keep saying raw. Stop saying raw. I, I, I think it's just a Freudian slip. Yeah, he got a nasty, unfair deal. Thank you, thank you. You're, you're um, confusing our listeners, Darren. I just want to try to clear the air. He, he, he got he got uh, he got shafted uh, uh, when he was the lead announcer of SmackDown, and uh, we'll talk about that in a minute. But uh, we talked about that plenty before. I learned a lot during this documentary. I learned a whole lot that I never knew. I didn't actually ever know that Mauro Ronaldo got his, I guess, his professional start, like in anything. Like, what makes you a professional? What, in, in any field, while getting paid to do it. At 16 years old, at 16, Mauro Ronaldo became an announcer, like a ring announcer, a commentator, and a manager for All-Star Wrestling out of Vancouver. Mauro Ronaldo, of course, born to Italian immigrants, uh, but is Canadian himself by birth. And uh, working in Vancouver for All-Star Wrestling at the early age of 16, Morrow uh, would also work for Stampede Wrestling, made famous, of course, by Stu Hart and the Hart family, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Uh, 
Paulo Ronaldo realized fairly early in his young adult life that he was not mentally healthy. Um, he had bouts of mania. He had bouts of depression, uh, suicidal thoughts, uh, uncontrollable rage, sleeplessness, um, outbursts of uh, just odd behavior, and uh, just the weeping, crying fits. And uh, he would go from being on top of the world, being able to, uh, I guess, pull off and accomplish all of his wildest hopes and dreams, and then find himself locking himself in his bedroom or alienating his friends and uh, just out of control, out of control. Now, I have, I have been a witness to uh, many people in my life, uh, I'd say more than a couple, less than 10, but... Uh, uh, quite a quite a lot of dealing with people uh, who suffer from bipolar disorder in my life, and I have witnessed the exact behavior uh, that you can witness when you watch bipolar rock and roller. When I say, pardon the word here, that the footage of Mauro Ramallo in this documentary, a lot of it is very raw. Uh, it is very candid. Uh, it is not sugarcoated. You see Mauro Ramallo in various states of undress. Uh, you see him hysterical, uh, screaming, crying, laughing, swearing, uh, playing music frantically, uh, wringing his hands, throwing things. Uh, you see him doing this in a studio setting, in an apartment where he's been given a camera to record himself alone. Um, like I said, I was, I was absolutely shocked at what Morrow was, uh, I guess what he signed off on, on what he allowed Showtime to really put out there. But I commend him for that because it is an honest look. It is a real peek behind the curtain of bipolar affective disorder where you see people, whether it's in a high or whether it's in a low, you see them in a situation where they are out of control. Well, I think that's that was probably very important for Maro because uh, this all kind of came to light when Maro Anala missed a couple of shows on SmackDown because he was having a lot of issues uh, with his bipolar uh, condition, uh, and like JBL, of course, that whole thing happened where JBL talked shit about him and all that stuff, and and when people hear people hear that other people are like you know severely depressed or like clinically depressed or a bipolar they just think oh like you're just bummed out all the time well just smile and be happy you'll be fine you know what i mean and if if only for if it were that easy you know what i mean <laughs> but so i think it was important for for him to kind of show you like the roller coaster of emotions you go through when you suffer uh when you suffer like this and it's it's very interesting i thought of this recently uh this is a side tangent here but uh, there's always a lot of like studies and a lot of people kind of focusing on people who are very depressed all the time. Obviously, it's a chemical imbalance in the brain, right? Depression, and people we treat that right. Well, there's pills for that, and like people are aware, like oh, they get depressed. You know, to so treat them with, you know, treat them with kindness and kid gloves and all that. But shouldn't like like people who are like irate all the time and very angry, isn't that also a chemical imbalance? Just it's filling up a different tank. But there's no what there's no like clinical 
diagnosis for that. There are no pills for just being an asshole all the time. Or like people who are just happy all the time. Isn't that a chemical imbalance where they're just happy all the time? And like, isn't that just like chemicals filling up another tank? But people just go, oh, they're happy all the time. That's great. But isn't that technically bad that they're always happy all the time? Should there be pills to treat people like that? You ever think about that, Darren? I think about it uh, too much. Oh. I think, about it, I think about it quite a bit because that is a multi-level uh, question. There are a lot of shades of gray in there. Uh, there's a lot of different answers and there's a lot of different realities and there, there's knowns and there are unknowns. Right. Um, yes, uh, uncontrolled uh, happiness or uncontrolled um, hyperactivity uh, is, is easily diagnosed as, as mania. Um, you know, thanks to uh, the Beatles and Hulk Hogan and wrestling. I was about to say, mania. yeah, we're, we're, we're treading on that uh, water again, yeah. Yeah, mania means a very different thing. Uh, but um, mania in and of itself is very dangerous. Mania does not mania does not mean happiness any more than depression means sadness. Doesn't mania uh, mean like basically like like a obsessive thoughts like like megalomania, pyromania, all that kind of stuff, right? Like uh, it, it does, but mania itself is a diagnosis mm -hmm. that is that is a that is separate from like you said uh, a, a type of Mania. Right. Uh, mania all by itself is really just like um, unchecked hyperactivity. So, I mean, that is the simplest, dumbest way to describe it. But for the sake of this conversation, uh, it's sort of the opposite of depression. And that is why bipolar disorder was for the longest time known as manic depression. Manic uh, mania and depression being polar opposite of one another, being bipolar on a spectrum where there are two extremes. And in manic right. depression, you are not wallowing uh, in, the, in the stillness and uh, hopelessness of depression. You may be acting completely also unlike yourself in terms of being uh, very socially active, spending money, acting out of character, uh, traveling, just all sorts of things. Right. Um, and this is a good time for me to say that, uh, obviously... Uh, for, those, for those of you tuning in who don't listen to the show very often, uh, Darren and I are not doctors, uh, nor do we think that we are doctors. Uh, we're just two guys having a conversation about depression and stuff like that. Uh, we don't claim to know everything. If we're saying the wrong thing, we do apologize. Uh, but this is what two average people know about depression. I just want to go ahead and throw that little disclaimer in there, folks. We hope, we hope uh, if, if any fans out there are suffering from depression or uh, you know, bipolar or you know, whatever, there are, there are a lot of diagnoses. I hope uh, you seek help, uh, and I hope we're not embarrassing ourselves with our conversation about the topic. Uh, Darren, go on. Uh, well, I mean, you know, like I said, I, I have enough experience in this that I, I feel that, of course, I have no medical uh, training, uh, but I have witnessed countless uh, manic episodes, depressive episodes, uh, people dealing with bipolar disorder for years, various medications that don't work, various medications that do work, uh, different patterns of behavior, different types of mania. I mean, I have been, I have been in relationships with three different individuals who suffer from bipolar disorder. Right. Um, you, if you are surrounded by it, it is a very 
uh, it's a very real uh, disorder. It's no more real or no less real than any other type of mental health issue or any type of physical health issue. And by the way, the mind itself is an organ just like any other organ. So the, the day that we break down that wall between mental health and physical health like they're two different things will be a good day. And we treat illnesses as illnesses. And we remove any and all stigma from the, the, the very concept of mental health. Why it's treated differently, I do not know. But uh, Mauro Ronaldo doing his part by uh, putting himself out there, uh, warts and all, if you will. Um, with this documentary, I think he's doing a whole lot. We get to see various periods of his life where he was crippled by either depression or mania. Uh, after his early years in pro wrestling, he he became uh, very involved with uh, kickboxing, Muay Thai fighting, and uh, mixed martial arts, working for Pride, working for Strike Force. Then back on uh, the pro wrestling side of things, working for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, before there was Jim Ross and Josh Barnett on Access TV, there was Mauro Ronaldo and Josh Barnett. Uh, of course, we got to see him call the Cruiserweight Classic alongside Daniel Bryan, and then it was when he was over with SmackDown that the uh, the complete worthless John Bradshaw Layfield <coughs> decided to uh, give his unwelcome uh, and uh, unsolicited two cents on Mauro Ronaldo's mental health, um, which did nothing but make it worse. Those who suffer from mental health uh, are just like any other human being, and they don't need to be bullied. And uh, why you would bully someone on their very specific obstacle or dilemma or struggle in life uh, is beyond me, other than you are a worthless human being, like John Layfield is. And, uh, you know, John, uh, John Layfield, JBL, whatever you want to call him, Bradshaw, uh, he, he basically ran Morrow off. And uh, we're not going to break down that whole story again. It's very well documented. But I thought we'd seen the last of Ronaldo. Um, in, in WWE anyway, but he came back. He's now your, you know, your anchor chair on NXT television. Meanwhile, he still calls action for Showtime. If it's, uh, MMA, uh, or if it's uh, like the super fight between Floyd Mayweather and Conor McGregor on your lead commentary, Mauro Ronaldo. Because again, Vince McMahon loves exposure. In the very least, Mauro... Uh, his voice is on huge uh, sporting events that are non-wrestling related. So to be able to say, oh, yeah, he works for me as well. Uh -huh. You know, uh, Vince is going to do that. So, And that's good. Uh, that, that, that's, those are some of Vince's better business practices. I don't know that they're, I don't know if they're any more uh, humane or uh, if, has any, if that thought has ever crossed Vince McMahon's mind. No. Um, but they are, they are definitely, in terms of business, one of his better decisions in recent years. Uh, spread that wealth. Let those people cross-pollinate. All you're going to do is attract more eyes and ears, not lose them. Right. So good on Vince. Um, whoever brokered the deal to bring Ronaldo back in the first place? Because if I were Mauro Ronaldo, I'd have definitely told WWE to go straight to hell for standing by JBL when the whole thing first went down. Right. But... You know, despite everything, um, or maybe because of everything, 
Ronaldo is uh, uh, adult about it, mature about it, reasonable and professional about it, took the deal that was on the table, and now uh, provides excellent commentary on uh, NXT television. Still one, still one of my favorite commentators, Mauro Ronaldo. And um, like I said, you need to check out Bipolar Rock and Roller. Uh, you'll get to see uh, Mauro Ronaldo, as I guarantee you've never seen him before. Uh, if you suffer from... Yeah, not wearing a, a, a very lovely three-piece suit, is that what you're saying? Yeah, that actually, you know what, that wasn't what I was saying, but that's a good point, is I'll tell you the strangest thing was, after I saw Bipolar Rock and Roller, and saw a whole lot of, like, shirtless Mauro Ronaldo and, like, uh, like a crew-cut Mauro Ronaldo and T-shirts sitting around the hotel... Uh, dropping F-bombs, Mauro Ronaldo. The following week, watching the uh, United Kingdom Championship Tournament, the first time in Royal Albert Hall when they cut to Mauro Ronaldo and Nigel McGuinness standing there, it took me a second. It was almost like I had put the Mauro from Bipolar Rock and Roller in like a different category than NXT Mauro Ronaldo, and it took me a second to reconcile them as the same person again. And... So that was weird. That was a little. That was a strange little moment for me personally, uh, but very cool because I think what it did was it made me sort of have that sort of in the back of my brain throughout the UK Championship tournament, thinking, "Oh, now I'm listening tomorrow, and I have a different, an even uh, more uh, developed and complex understanding of who this person is." And that's cool, uh, as we've said many times. That's what keeps like grown people involved in wrestling is unless you're an idiot and you still think that wrestling is real, <laughs> the only thing that can keep you coming back year after year after year is if you understand these performers on multiple levels. If you understand them as athletes, as entertainers and as human beings. And I think that's a lot of what we do on this, on this podcast is breaking down these individuals on those multiple levels. It's, um, I mean, it, it's safe to say that 99.9999999999% of wrestling fans believe it to be. Sports entertainments, you know, not not real fighting. I've met a few people in my life who think it is real. Uh, <laughs> I will not name names. Um, but it's funny because I, I, I picture, like, the one guy who listens to our show who thinks that wrestling is real. And you said, <laughs> you have to be an idiot to think it's real. And he's just kind of like... Right, thank you very much. Because we're, we're not we're not mean to our fans. We love our fans. We love our hashtag dear listeners. And uh, Darren's yeah, very sorry for that. Now, all our dear listeners know exactly what I know, which is we're all appreciating this stuff on on multiple levels. Absolutely, so absolutely. And Darren will gladly write you a letter. You know he loves to write them. About his podcast, you know, he, he's this, the typical kind of guy that would have a podcast, um, and he'll... <laughs> Man, Barry, you're a regular JBL. I brought it back! I brought it you're, back! You're, you're bullying. Oh, no, no, no. Don't, never compare me to JBL. Oh, my hands are getting pretty soapy, though, Darren, so maybe... <laughs> maybe, maybe I am a little JBLE. Uh, old, old soap hands. Old soapy hands. Um, so yeah, check out Bipolar Rockarola. 
Um, it's uh, it's great. I mean, I'll, who, who doesn't love a good documentary? Man, I didn't know how much I loved documentaries until like I binge watched documentaries on Netflix. And it's like, oh, people with interesting names, I'll I'll watch this, sure. <laughs> so yeah, it's. I, I've, I've skipped over that one many times. Should I check that out? Oh my god, the funniest one is there's a guy. Um, oh my god, there's a guy named Frankenstein. So he says he says people call him up and they and they they make jokes and they hang up but my favorite joke and me and my roommate still make this joke we watched this thing like months ago is someone called that he's an older guy too someone called him up and said hey hey is Igor home <laughs> And for some reason, that just really uh, tickled my funny bone. And to this day, when I hear that, uh, I, I just I start laughing. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> hey, is Igor home? Click. <laughs> Very quickly, I have friends, and they will remain nameless uh, to protect them, uh, who, when Spider-Man, <laughs> when the first Spider-Man movie came out, <laughs> they looked up Peter, they looked up, <laughs> They oh looked up people named Peter Parker who were living in New York and called them up and and as J. Jonah Jameson told him, Parker, you're late for work. Get to the get to the Daily Bugle immediately. Well, that's what you just. I mean, really, honestly, you you do deserve that. That's uh, <laughs> that's but, not some, that's not something like a disease or a, uh, or anything that you can't avoid. If your name is Peter Parker, you don't live in New York City. Right, that, that, that's on you. Moving on, we have two big shows to talk about. The one that New Japan just put on, and the one that WWE has coming up. So let's talk about the G1 special in San Francisco, shall we? All right. This past Saturday, the 7th of July, 2018, New Japan Pro Wrestling came to us live from San Francisco, California, and the legendary Cal Palace. They put on the show called the G1 Special right there in San Francisco. New Japan, in the United States, they are making their incursion. This is the Japanese invasion. They're taking out the West Coast, or they're taking on the West Coast, announcing that this will be one of four shows they put on in California in 2018, with more shows to come in 2019. Now that there is a Gaijin as president and CEO of New Japan Pro Wrestling, I only see this happening more and more. But here on this night in San Francisco, there was a lot of action. Not everybody came over from New Japan, but most people did make the trip. We've got all of the Japanese-born as well as all the gaijin from the United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and beyond, all represented here under the New Japan Pro Wrestling banner with a heaping helping of ROH. Never forget those two companies work in great tandem, uh, especially in the United States. The opening match of the evening saw the Bullet Club take on the faction known as Chaos. In this match, Bullet Club is represented by Haku and the Sons of Haku. That's right, King Haku stepping back into the wrestling ring as an active competitor, and his sons, Tamatanga and Tonga Loa, collectively known as the Gorillas of Destiny. 
These three men tagged with other Bullet Club members Yojiro Takahashi and Chase Owens, the crown jewel, to take on Yoshihashi, Ghetto, Rocky Romero, Sho, and Yo. Sho and Yo with their director, Rocky Romero. Rocky Romero actually mixing it up as a wrestler in this match. Sho and Yo, formerly known as the Tempura Boys. Now with Rocky Romero as their director, known as Roppongi 3K. Tamatanga is worth the price of admission alone. Tamatanga is a beast. He is a he's like a modern day Sting. Wow. Um, High praise. I don't compare anybody to Sting like this, but Tamatanga, I think it's the long hair, the the new uh, ring gear, and then finally all of that combined with the white and black face paint he's been wearing for a while. Not to mention probably the baddest ass. Stinger splash I've seen in a long time in this match. Uh, <laughs> now I'm starting to wait, wait, face paint, stinger splash. Now I'm starting to see why you would compare him to Sting. Sure. <laughs> right. There's a, there's a very funny spot early in this match where Tonga Loa uh, has Rocky Romero running into him over and over again, <laughs> and it's so funny because Tonga Loa, like, he always seems like a big guy, but next to Rocky Romero, he looks like uh, the Big Show. I mean. He looks like a muscle-bound Andre the Giant. Like he's huge. Uh, and when you see Tonga Loa go stand next to his father, Haku, you go, oh, wow. Yeah, Tonga is kind of a monster. <laughs> um, here we are in the first match, and JR is already calling people by the wrong name. And uh, not, uh, I don't know. I, I think Jim Ross is, should, not be, should not be this involved in New Japan Pro Wrestling. If he's not going to put the work in, you know, don't don't put him on TV. Don't have him be the only voice. All and all, all due respect to Jim Ross too. And a lot of people get out of Jim Ross uh, after these shows when he calls people by the wrong name. And what's funny to me is how defensive Jim Ross gets. It's like, why can't he just go like, yeah, I said the wrong names. I need to watch that. That's all he needs to say. Instead, he goes, well, you come out here and you do it, and I'm trying to do a podcast and I'm on a plane, and it's like. Jim, Jim, you, you, your life in wrestling is hard. Everyone's life in wrestling is hard. Everyone's life in life is hard, Jim. Absolutely, but if your job is talking and getting the people's names right, you're going to have to work harder, Jim. You can't just write in your reputation. You're going to actually have to put the work in. I know it's a foreign land, and these people are not named Steve and Ray and Johnny, so you're gonna have to work extra hard, Jim. Okay, okay. <laughs> That's the, hey man, true words have never been spoken. Nobody doubts uh, Jim Ross's resume. No one doubts the the work he has put in in the past. He's clearly not putting it in anymore. Because yeah, you, you throw somebody out there, uh, or just sit down, sit down, your buddy who's never watched Japanese wrestling, and 75 percent of the roster has names they can't pronounce and are unlikely to remember after watching one show. But after, honestly, after only like two or three shows, if you're paying attention, it shouldn't be that hard. And if that is your job and you've done it for 40 years, it should really, really not be that hard. Hire anyone who does commentating, who has never watched a single New Japan show. The flight from America to Japan is a very long flight. That's plenty of time to learn everyone's name, correct pronunciation, 
finishing maneuvers. So don't, and Jim Ross is back and forth all the time. Don't tell me you don't have time to figure all this stuff out, JR. Shame on you, JR. Yeah, I, I don't like it. Uh, it's unfortunate. Uh, I used to think that Josh Barnett was the weak part of this commentary team, but now I honestly believe Jim Ross is the weak part of this commentary team. Yeah. Um, and what was weird is, of course, this aired live, like Access TV, of course, the uh, satellite uh, channel. I think you, can, you, you can't get it with cable, but you can get it with Dish Network and with uh, DirecTV. Access TV or the television station owned by Mark Cuban, I guess Cuban forked out the bucks to make sure that even in JPW World, the uh, streaming service that New Japan has, similar to WWE Network, did not air the G1 special live. You had to watch it on Access TV. Now, it went off at midnight, and one minute later, you could immediately watch it uh, on in jpw world which is what i did right because i have that subscription but i do not have access tv but uh i thought that was a little uh a little weird uh the downside to that of course is if you don't have a show produced by new japan you don't have the kevin kelly don Callis commentary instead access was always going to have english commentary by jim ross and josh barnett so even the NJPW World version in English is the Ross and Barnett version. They weren't. New Japan wasn't going to double dip and pay for two simultaneous English commentary tracks. So I guess Callis and Kelly got the day off. What do you mean they didn't go with Don Callis? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Paul Lazenby probably said something. <laughs> <laughs> Out of trouble. You know, that guy kind of runs his mouth from time to time. Callus was too busy... Callus <laughs> was too busy vaping. Yeah. Well, this opening match ends uh, with Haku putting the Tongan death grip on Gato, tossing him over to his son, Tamatanga, who hits the gun stun for the win. Not the stun gun, but the gun stun. <laughs> Next up, we have the Chaos Faction represented by the tag team of Tomohiro Ishii and Toru Yano, taking on Suzuki-gun members, the leader of Suzuki-gun, Minoru Suzuki, and Zack Sabre Jr. Believe it or not, I don't think Jim Ross... I don't think he said Will Ospreay. That's nice. Uh, during this match. And then, um, to be fair, they do look very similar, those two. So. They, they do. They're skinny Brits. Uh, yeah, skinny Brits and, and a company full of uh, typically Japanese males. Um, so it's like, oh, the two skinny white guys. <laughs> Those guys. <laughs> you know, I don't, so every now and then I get a little confused as, as to why everyone, it seems, in New Japan has to be in a faction. Uh, because then you get really odd teammates uh, very strange bedfellows, if you will, like Ishii and Yano. Um, I can understand how the goofy-ass Yano and the stone pitbull that is Ishii, I understand how they might be able to coexist in a faction, but as a tag team, it, it makes absolutely no sense. It's like it's like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Bozo the Clown. <laughs> like, wow. Um, it's very odd. Um Yano basically... I, I love it, though. 
I, I do love it, though. I, I love the faction wars. I love the gang warfare of wrestling. And that's one thing that I think WWE needs to adopt. There's more factions. There's more manager-based factions. Like, watching old, like, WCW or, like, watching old WWF, where, like, half the roster is managed by Bobby Heenan, so there's the Heenan family, or, like, you know, half the roster is managed by Paul Hammond, so there's Dangerous Alliance. It's like, this made for really interesting storylines and really cool team-ups, and it's a great way to get people together that you don't necessarily, quote-unquote, have something for, you know, some, something for them to do. Well, guess what? You put people together that you don't have anything for, and that means you have something for them. That's just me. Oh, imagine that. Now, Actually, helping yourself book something. Imagine that. Yeah, we, we, we don't have anything for these two guys. Oh, okay, I, know, I have an idea. Uh, put them in matches together. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. I don't understand why, why people don't think sometimes, but whatever. Yeah, well, because, again, WWE is booked by television writers and not by wrestling bookers. Oh, I know. I know. NXT, it's, it's booked by... Bookers. It's booked by wrestlers. That's why that yellow brand is the one to watch, folks. When they get, when they end, when NXT ends up on FS1, uh, and NXT is no longer the developmental brand at all. Once WWE has purchased Evolve, and Evolve Wrestling becomes the developmental territory, and NXT is a full-blown third brand. You watch. You watch. It's coming. That day is coming. And NXT will be the hottest brand of the three. I really believe that. The day um, is coming. Yano. Yano's problem, I don't like him. I don't like him. I do not like I do not enjoy watching Toru Yano. Um, <laughs> Alright. Because he is, he's just, he's, he's a clown. And he's not entertaining. He, <laughs> there's, not, there's not a lot of comic relief in New Japan Pro Wrestling. But why they, they're like they're gonna like pile it all onto this one guy and make him into? I mean, he's he might as well be like juggling Boston cream pie as riding a unicycle. I mean, he's such a silly bastard that you. I don't. I don't even. I just don't even like seeing him. And and that's that's just terrible. I don't it's even like that. seeing him. Wow, that's uh. Like, okay, let me put it this way. I really, really like, and, I, and I've caught hell for this, and I'll probably catch hell for this again. I used to love the character of Eugene in WWE. Yeesh. All right. Uh, right, okay, there you go. Yeesh. Right. That's the proper response. That's the response I've heard every time I've ever made that statement. Like, oh, I like Eugene. Um, <laughs> that's what. If it makes everybody feel better, I'm sorry that I like Eugene, but that's what Toru Yano is. Toru Yano is the New Japan version of Eugene. So if you hated Eugene, you're going to hate Toru Yano. You know what, Darren? You, you seem like the kind of guy that would like Eugene. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> folks, folks, I did that just for the look in Darren's eye. When I, get, when, I love when I get halfway through something and you know exactly where it's going, and you just give me that look like that. Oh! But that, that look, oh, it's so good. Mm. My, you, the look that says, I am about to sign out of Skype. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you stay on board for the for the hashtag to your listeners, Darren. I will, I will. Thank you. Well, this match, uh, this match is really basically uh, an opportunity to watch Minoru and uh, Ishii punch each other to death, to, to, to pull out some 
old school strong style, and that's what we get. Uh, meanwhile, Zack Saber Jr. stuck dealing <laughs> with Yano, uh, <laughs> and then and then just for good measure, Saber uh, is thrown to Ishii to take his finisher for the loss. Well, it certainly uh, wasn't Saber. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love that it's like de- dealing with Yanosh. I like that it's dealing with Yanosh. It's almost like like drawing the short straw. It, it, it's like uh, having to present the Oscar for like best animated feature, and you have to like present it with an animated like character. It's always like there's always the the one actor who's got to deal with that. Like look at something that's not there and be like, who do you think should win, Shrek? And you know. <laughs> It's funny. By the way, did you say did you say Janosch? I'm sorry, Janosch is from Ghostbusters too. I apologize, fans. I had Janosch, Doctor Janosch Poha, stuck in my brain. Yes. Oh, Doctor Vickman, why are you gay? <laughs> Yano, I meant to say Yano. My bad. That's my favorite line of any '80s movie. Why are you gay? <laughs> The ace. The ace and the Back to the Future looking guy. <laughs> uh, it doesn't get any more like super squeaky clean white meat baby face than the ace, Tanahashi, uh, and Kushida. Kushida, uh, perennial IWGP junior heavyweight champion, walking around without a belt these days. And uh, it actually, uh, Tanahashi and Kushida, if this match had taken place on the island of Japan, Tanahashi and Kushida win 10 times out of 10. But in San Francisco, we're going to see the Gaijin go over as Bullet Club actually defeats Tanahashi and Kushida here. Hangman Page and Marty Skrull looking tough. I tell you what, a year and a half ago when we saw Hangman Page uh, in the ROH ring in uh, center stage in Atlanta, I didn't think too much of it. Uh, that's exactly where I was. I mean, I was not a Hangman Page fan at all. When he went to the Bullet Club, it was kind of like, this guy, really? Um, but, uh, no, he's rarely turned things around for me. Like, his match with Jay Wyatt um, at Dominion, like, that was just, that was incredible. Um, so, like, by Jay Wyatt, you mean uh, Switchblade. <laughs> I meant to say Switchblade. Um, so, no, Hangman Page really grown on me. Uh, Marty Skrull, I've, I've always enjoyed. Um, so, I'm, I'm fine by it. Good, good stuff. Yeah, it is good stuff. Uh, next up, we get our first singles match of the evening as the never open weight champion Hiroki Goto. <laughs> it's never open. Uh, takes on Jeff Cobb. Now, Jeff Cobb, it's like every time I turn around, I see Jeff Cobb, but it's typically in the rings of. Well, the Darren, game. don't turn around. <laughs> Jeff Cobb is standing right behind you. <laughs> <laughs> Because every time you turn around, he's there. I guess I better listen to you and Ace of Base and uh, don't turn around. <laughs> that song's about Jeff Cobb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Now, if Jeff Cobb doesn't start using that as his entrance music, then <laughs> I'll tweet him. He'll ignore it. Oh, but just tell him to listen to episode 92 of The Whole Rough and Show. The only 
wrestling podcast that calls it right down the middle, and he'll be like, done and done. Yes, and I'll also I'll, I'll also tag Ace and Base in it, and they'll also listen to the episode and go, hmm, we still exist. And then when Jeff, what that means is that, when, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's how Ace and Base will realize they still exist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Their Twitter actually goes to their manager, and when you tweet it, he will go wake them up out of their hyperbaric chambers. <laughs> actually, you know what it might mean? It might mean that when Jeff Cobb uh, ends up in the WWE, and he's making his special entrance uh, in his Intercontinental title match, <laughs> Ace of Base can perform Don't Turn Around live at WrestleMania. <laughs> And, uh, I, I hope I'm there that day. I, I feel like they missed that opportunity uh, to, to play at WrestleMania, but uh, you never know. Go on. <laughs> Jeff Cobb, uh, outstanding athlete. Like I said, I'm typically, uh, when I when I do turn around, and every time I turn around, I see him wrestling uh, in the United States, uh, and I see him wrestling on the independent circuit and making a name for himself. This is one of those guys that you see, you hear about that, Takes on all covers. I mean, this guy is fighting everyone, every style, uh, every federation, every uh, age range, uh, ability level. And Jeff Cobb is an outstanding athlete for a guy his size. Because he's one of those square individuals like Michael Elgin and Scott Norton. He doesn't dance. He doesn't drink. He doesn't smoke. <laughs> he's a square, daddy Uh No, shaped like a square, much like Rhino. And Jeff Cobb, uh, despite the shape, which, I mean, I've seen many other people shaped like that, most of them cannot pull a standing double drop kick off with the greatest of ease, but Jeff Cobb can do it. He can do a standing moonsault dead center in the ring. Uh, he misses the first one he tries to put on Goto, but hits one later. Uh, I tell you what, though. After all of these this, this aerial maneuvering by Jeff Cobb, I thought that was going to be the story of this match. But it settled into a slugfest, and it reminded me a lot of uh, the way that you and I described the Joe Coffey-Dave Mastiff match. I was just um, thinking of that match as well because of the, uh, the body type here. Was. Yeah, yeah, that's what this was kind of all over again. You know, Goto seems to have slimmed down in the last uh, four to six months. But he's still kind of a stockier guy. And so him and Jeff Cobb... <laughs> hey, it's great you lost some weight. You're still big. That's always <laughs> nice. That's always nice to hear when you've lost well, some weight. Well, hey, that, that's the story of my life. So, <laughs> oh, that's cute. Oh, that's cute. You dropped 40 pounds? Uh, well, uh, get back to me when you drop another 40. Hiroki Goto actually defeats Jeff Cobb. Uh, he, he hits the GTR FTW. And Goto retains that never open weight championship. Next up, the IWGP Tag Team Champions, the Young Bucks. That's right, dear listeners. They're no longer the junior heavyweight tag team champions. They are the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Champions. The Young Bucks, Matt and Nick Jackson, take on Sonata and Evil. Everything is evil. Uh, representing L.I.J., the Los Ingobernables de Japón. This is a typical Young Bucks match. It's solid. It's impressive. Uh, I popped, but I didn't marvel at it. This was nothing. You know, I'm not tired. 
there's not a single uh, in, uh, New Japan match happening right now that I'm tired of, uh, so don't misunderstand me. But th- as far as like routine matches, this is this is a good example. This wow. is as, this is as routine as New Japan gets right now, and it's just because so many other tag teams have have left the company. Do you think that uh, the Young Bucks jumping up a weight class, you think putting on the extra weight slowed them down any? Oh, definitely not. Okay. Definitely not. Uh, I mean, these both of these dudes are still flying around like, <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke told many times before. But these two dudes, I mean, I have not seen in-sync tag team wrestling <laughs> like this since the Rockers. Right. Um, this is this is more in sync than anything anybody is doing these days, and that is always fun to watch. You wonder how the communication is even possible to establish the spot on timing. It's one thing to to be able to have two men perform in the exact same way, but to do it flawlessly at the same time. You got to give a hand to their opponents too for being able to like field that and work with it and catch it and place themselves in the right place at just the right time because that takes coordination and synchronicity between the two opponents absolutely and, and sonata and evil are are you know the are, are, are stellar opponents uh for the jacksons and so uh the jacksons do defend the young bucks representing the elite now known as the golden elite and of course representing the bullet club they do defeat LIJ here and retain their tag team titles. Yeah, for those who do not know, uh, Kenny Omega, Koto Ibushi, and the Young Bucks have formed a new faction called the Gold Elite, which is a combination of the Elite plus Golden Lovers. So, although uh, I think it's, I think it still excludes Kota Ibushi from the Bullet Club. Yeah, which of course, <laughs> that's weird. That's sort of like. They're turning the faction. It's like a Venn diagram. Uh, where, where exactly do you fit, uh, Golden Star Kota Ibushi? Right. It's a story web. It's like a you know plot point arrow pointing to this. If not, then this kind of thing going. So <laughs> right. It's it's strange. Are you a golden lover? If yes, <laughs> golden elite. If yes, yeah. Which are one? You are you Kenny Omega? You are. Then go to Bullet Club. Are you Kota Ibushi? Then do not go to Bullet Club. Yeah. Do not go to Bullet Club. Exactly. So. Next up, the faction known as Chaos is represented by Kazuchika Okada. And Will Ospreay, I spoke too soon, Will Ospreay is in fact on this card, and he is tagging <laughs> with the Rainmaker and former IWGP heavyweight champion, and it's weird not seeing this dude in the main event. It's weird not saying, or it's weird saying former IWGP heavyweight champion. Okada and Ospreay take on uh, LIJ, represented by their leader, Tetsuya Naito, and Bushi. We know that Takahashi has a singles match later to defend his IWGP junior heavyweight title, so it will be Bushi standing at the side of Naito to take on Okada and Osprey, Chaos and LIJ. Now, Osprey, I don't know. I don't know how to, to, to hammer down what I'm looking at when I'm looking at Will Osprey. Is it is it recklessness or is it 
total precision? Or is it sometimes one and sometimes the other? It's reckless precision, Darren. It's reckless. Oh, come now. No, it's 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 it's, it's what it's what I re, it's what I sometimes refer to uh, when people ask me what heavy metal is like. I tell them it's it's precise noise, uh, which is Wait, kind of who doesn't know what heavy metal is. Or, who are you talking to that doesn't know what heavy metal is? What century are they from? If uh, well, when I time travel, no. When I, if I have to like like if, if if I have to scientifically explain what makes heavy metal listenable, basically to someone. Um, then, then that, that's kind of the term that I use, is, is uh, precision noise. Um, so maybe it is a bit both for uh, Will Ospreay. Maybe it's uh, guided recklessness, <laughs> if that makes any sense. Um, well, yeah, I mean, it, it's very entertaining to watch. I just, sometimes it makes me cringe, um, and not because it looks bad, but just because it looks like I'd hate for you to not be able to have a lengthy career. Yeah, about cringing, uh, the cringe moment for this show is definitely coming up very soon, uh, yes, which, which we'll get into that in a second. Uh, but luckily, uh, a lot of these folks do not get career, or sustain career-ending, uh, shortening uh, injuries. And uh, Yeah, but uh, Will Ospreay, definitely uh, one of the people that uh, you, you see highlight reels and think, how has this guy not broken his neck by now? So, yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, Osprey himself will actually get the pin uh, on Bushi for the win. Um, I tell you what, it's weird seeing Okada without all the pomp and circumstance. He doesn't have the confetti. He doesn't have Gato at his side. He doesn't have the belt around his waist. And he doesn't have the air of, it, of something special. And that was weird. He immediately turned back into a normal guy. He's, he, and I don't understand why they let that happen. It's almost like they did it deliberately because I, if, you know, when Hulk Hogan back in the 80s, you know, on the rare occasion he wasn't the champion, he still felt like Hulk Hogan even if he was in the mid-card in a tag match. Right. But Okada, on this night anyway, as a mid-carder in a tag match, he seemed like a mid-carder in a tag match. He didn't seem like, oh, the Rainmaker. No, I, I understand that. But, I mean, Naito is also a former IWGP heavyweight champion. And you, you notice the finish has nothing to do with either one of them. Because I'm sure it was like, okay, if this match ends, Naito is not pinning Okada. Okada is not pinning Naito. So, Zabushi and uh, Will Ospreay have to, someone's got to take a fall there, so... Makes sense to me. Well, to, to, to me, that is protecting both Naito and Okada. Um, so, and you, you just got to put them somewhere. The, these gaijins here in, in the United States have got to see these guys wrestle. Uh, if it's a one-on-one, -on -one, someone loses. It's a much bigger deal, so it's safe to put them in a tag match. So. In the next match, Hiromu Takahashi, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion, representing LIJ, defends his junior heavyweight title against Dragon Lee. Yeesh. Now, Dragon Lee comes out first. Killer gear. This dude is hella shredded. Don't say killer. I, you know, to be perfectly honest, uh, there's a whole lot of luchador masks these days that look too similar. For for a long time, for years, everybody looked too much like Rey Mysterio Jr. Now everybody's starting to look like Ultimo Dragon. Now. 
Are you going to fault a guy named Dragon Lee for looking somewhat like Ultimo Dragon? No. But I just have to say, at a glance, at first glance, and I mean a nanosecond, you might dismiss Dragon Lee as, okay, they're about to say here he is representing CMLL. He's a luchador. It's going to be a high-flying match. It'll be good, but nothing special. But you would be wrong. You would be wrong to think that. Uh, Dragon Lee and Takahashi have actually had a very long-running view. Um, Dragon Lee is, of course, representing CMLL. Um, but this feud between the two of them has existed since CMLL, when uh, Hiromu Takahashi wrestled there under a mask. And now it is just boiled over, and here it is, one-on-one, -on -one, once again, Takahashi and Lee, cross-promotional battle for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Hiromu, in addition to carrying out the trophy for the best of the Super Juniors and wearing his Junior Heavyweight title, he also, of course, is bringing Daryl Jr. under his luchador mask. Of course. Uh, out to the ringside. Uh, Hiromu leaves the trophy and Daryl Jr. <laughs> with Jim Ross and Josh Barnett. Jim Ross wants nothing to do with it, but uh, <laughs> Josh Barnett will play along, referring to Daryl Jr. as DJ. The match, however, starts immediately after that. Dragon Lee seems to float off of the mat over the top rope. And yes, dear listeners, you may have to re rewind it to convince yourself that he did not springboard. No, he just got a running start and jumped and remained vertical while he went entirely over the top rope, then catching Takahashi around the neck, Takahashi standing on the apron, and doing a hurricanrata all the way to the floor. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. Before you can blink, before you can pick up the remote to rewind and see that he did not springboard, uh, he just lifted off like a rocket ship. Before you can even do that, Lee has already gotten back in the ring, bounced off the far ropes, and, and then hits the realest-looking suicide dive I've ever seen. Not that typical WWE jump push and land on your feet suicide dive that happens in every single match nowadays. No. This one looks like Dragon Lee is trying to commit suicide with this dive. Um, absolutely just devastates himself and Hiromu. The suicide dive is unlike any other. The match, after that point, it is high-flying. Hiromu does this, what can only be called the flying butt pliers. <laughs> Jumping off the top rope, just sort of devil-may-care and like landing with his ass on Dragon Lee's head from the top rope to the concrete below. And then they suplex the hell out of each other. It's like release German suplexes and dragon suplexes back and forth and back and forth. And then, unfortunately, we get that scary moment, that spooky moment where we see, after all of this, this, this battle of the suplexes, that Dragon Lee gets... Uh, Hiromu Takahashi in this like very precarious looking cradle. Yeah, uh, it was, it was, it was, it's almost like uh, Takahashi was a uh, like a cannonball 
Like, like I'm about to do a cannonball into a swimming pool, and uh, Dragon's got him kind of bundled up in front of him, holding him up. And uh, obviously he's trying to suplex him over his head, and Takahashi would have to basically... The hope is that Takahashi will land on his back. But uh, just in that position, there's no way for Takahashi to get a full rotation. So Takahashi lands directly on his head and neck. And it looks nasty. It looks horrible. Um, and is horrible. Yeah, he lands with all of his weight, all of his momentum on, like, the crown point of his head while it is completely tucked under his whole body. Yeah, it's bad. And the, 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 the way his head sort of catches traction there and stays still while you see his body weight essentially... I mean, God, to, to look at it, it looks like it's about to pull his head off of his body. It's, 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 like, a, it's like a Transformer. It's, it's like a Starscream the Transformer, where like his, his airplane head would fold down into his body. It's basically That's that, exactly what it looks only like. he's a human being, uh, so it doesn't, it's not supposed to go that way. It's, it's bad. It really is bad. Yes, we have since learned that... Uh, the reports seem to be pointing at massive neck trauma, possibly a broken neck. Uh, they were able to stabilize Takahashi to the point that he flew home to Japan from San Francisco and is undergoing tests now. Uh, at the time of this recording, there is no clear diagnosis, uh, but we're keeping our fingers crossed for his well-being. Takahashi finished the match, Darren. He does. He doesn't. Sloppy schoolboy roll up, like when you know Owen dropped Austin on his neck, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting that down either. No, because that's what he should have done. Because that's what he should have done. He should have the, the the X symbol should have gone up by the referee, and Takahashi should have said like, I, I roll you up. Let's go home right now. He there's a couple more minutes of match, and I think Takahashi yeah. even does like a hurricanrana. Like I mean, yeah, like it continues. The first thing that happens is that Dragon Lee picks him up and power bombs him. Yeah, which he sells, he takes it, and then there's more wrestling to go. So, I mean, Takahashi, man, love him or hate him, that is a tough dude if he yeah. kept going after that. So, all the credit yeah, in the world, sure. Takahashi. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've been a big fan of this guy for a while, but now there's this, there's a different... I mean, this is a whole, whole other thing. Like, first of all, there's just the general wishing for his well-being. Secondly, this new appreciation of, oh my God, the toughness of this guy. Yeah. So, I mean, he just became one of my very, from one of my current favorites to one of my very favorites. Because uh, actually, Lee goes for a second powerbomb. Uh, <laughs> Stop! Uh, Lee is not getting the message here. I don't know if there's a language barrier or what's up, but... Uh, Takahashi actually turns that second powerbomb attempt into a Canadian destroyer. Uh-huh. So it's like, okay, Takahashi's still pulling out Canadian destroyer. Then it's the time bomb, and that's actually how he wins the match. And with a broken neck, retains the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Holy crap. Yeah, he's uh, that's, that's pretty badass. I got a <laughs> hats off to Takahashi. 
Now, here we are at the G1 Special in San Francisco. We're in the United States. The United States title, you know, by, by anyone's estimation, was likely to figure prominently in this booking and its placement on the card, and it does. It is here in the penultimate match of the evening as Juice Robinson, formerly C.J. Parker of NXT, uh, takes on the IWGP United States Champion, Switchblade. <laughs> you love, you love Switchblade. Yes, you do. I do too. I, I love, love Switchblade, Switchblade as well. And I, I love Switchblade's all red gear. Very cool. Very sharp. Um, they make up uh, Jim Ross and Josh Barnett do a very good job of telling the story. Uh, it makes us really care about Jay White and Juice Robinson. Storyline of the fact that these guys were young lions together. They were former roommates in Japan. Um, but it was only after Jay White returned from Excursion. I know we talked about that Ring of Honor show, or that ring of, uh, set of Ring of Honor tapings we attended in Atlanta. So actually what we attended was not one ROH show, but five ROH shows. <laughs> we saw That's funny. Them. It felt like five ROH shows. <laughs> it did. Um, and now at that show, we were privy to Young Lion, Jay White. And we really didn't think much of him. We're like, okay, this guy's just kind of dry toast. Uh, <laughs> skinny, skinny white guy from New Zealand. I mean, whatever. I mean, we, we, we've always, we've, yeah, I know, we've always said if you give people the right personality, they go from zero to a thousand, like, overnight. That's definitely what has happened with Jay White. And, of course, they factored into this story, which is that Juice Robinson's like, no, man, why are you doing that? Don't do it. Just be Jay White. We were friends. Right. Not that that's what Juice Robinson sounds like or anything. <laughs> he doesn't sound anything like that voice that I just did. But uh, Jay White returns from Excursion, Ring of Honor, and wherever else he may have, wherever he may have roamed. And uh, he was all weird and dark, and he had tally marks all over his clothes, and he sat in a dark room. And all of a sudden, he had a switchblade, and he called himself Switchblade. And uh, so it makes for a good story. Juice Robinson's playing up the fact that he is Mr. America, part two. Um, and at the press conference before the show, he, I was very impressed by him at this press conference. A lot of, a lot of excellent mic work, a lot of putting himself over, selling himself well, uh, and setting the stage for this match on, on, on this night. Right. He lets it know that it's a big deal for him to be the first American uh, to be uh, IWGP uh, US champion. I mean, not that there were that many people that have held the belt. You know what I mean? There's only been two people. Uh, so, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not like, you know, for years we've tried and tried and we failed. It's, <laughs> this, this belt's existed for all of what, six months? So, no, one if, year. This is the one year anniversary. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was Kenny Omega who won it at the, uh, the last uh, G1. Um, yeah, so, so we're at the one year mark. So it's not like. Uh, <laughs> it's not like uh, it's been 10 years and this year is our year so I, I get that so uh, Jay White comes out in all red with black trim he looks like a million dollars this gear is exceptional it fits the attitude it fits the gimmick uh, Juice Robinson who told us he'd be coming out decked out in all of his patriotic glory actually kind of ends up looking more like a French pirate uh, than an all-American <laughs> man, but whatever. Um, he kind of had lacy panties uh, <laughs> on top of his 
French pants and uh, his musketeer hat. Uh, Juice Robinson, you need to get a little bit better in touch with your American patriotism, brother. Um, but Juice puts on a great match, and Jay White is 50% responsible for that. From the very beginning, Juice Robinson is uh, fighting from underneath. He's got uh, what is reported to be a broken hand, and then uh, it's announced before the match a new stipulation. If he uses the broken hand at any point, he will be disqualified because it's being treated as a foreign object. So, of course, Jay White will, throughout the match, attack that hand, which, of course, that's not against the rules. No, 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 of course not. But anyway, Jay will also spend the rest of the match where he's not looking like he's trying to break Juice's fingers, throwing him through the guardrails. All, basically, all four corners, all four sides of the ring, uh, suffer the fate of the guardrails getting crashed through as Jay White throws Juice Robinson through them. And they go flying when he does. It becomes evident immediately that the steel guardrails, the old school steel guardrails that you used to not be able to see wrestling and not see these kind of guardrails, but WWE changed the game with that forever with their weird blockades. Yeah. But uh, these guardrails are not interlocked. And Jim Ross is very vocal about it. He's very, very upset that so much time is being spent outside of the ring during this match. He is... Maybe he knew. He, is, he knew, Darren. He knew. Um, you know, he, he is trash-talking Jay White. He's saying, you know, there might as well not be any rules in New Japan because nobody follows them. And, like, he's hyper-critical of, of everyone. But um, despite all this negativity... Jay White just keeps on throwing Juice Robinson through guardrails. And, you know, there's not a lot of heels like Jay White. And I guess maybe a Japanese crowd doesn't respond well to that. But here in San Francisco, we've got an American wrestling crowd. And even though this is an American wrestling crowd that is familiar with and in favor of traditional strong style uh, New Japan product, the fact that they're seeing something different out of Switchblade Jay White, I think is highly entertaining. This is the type of heel that does not exist in Japanese wrestling. Uh, and it's very good. It's a lot like what Jericho's been doing for the last year uh, in terms of his New Japan interaction. Uh, only Jay White is still a young Gohard, if you will. So he's, so he's like, like an evil Yano. He's like... <laughs> Instead of wanting to bring happiness and cheer, he wants to bring misery and dread... Uh, at one point, Jay suplexes Juice Robinson into the railing right in front of the announce table, and the calamity that ensues sees Jim Ross fall to the ground. Now, we'll, we'll get to what happens after that fall, uh, or like what happens the next day in a second. Immediately, you just see the cowboy hat go flying, Jim Ross disappear into the darkness. <laughs> And Josh Barnett looks at Jim Ross and slowly turns and looks back at Jay White and says, Wow, you done fucked up now. <laughs> it's not often in pro wrestling in 2018 to hear one of the commentators say, You done fucked up now. It does happen. But 
former heavyweight wrestling champion Josh Barnett, former UFC fighter Josh Barnett, gets out of his headset, out from behind the now disheveled announce table and railing, and goes after Jay White. <laughs> Josh Barnett climbs in the ring. Like, and Josh Barnett is twice Jay White's size. And he is about to come out of those lace-up shoes and that stylish uh, sports jacket and tear Jay White's head off of his neck. And I'm looking at it, and this, and this is the same 30 seconds where I thought to myself, damn, there's not a heel like Jay White in New Japan. Then I'm thinking, is this real? Is this a fucking shoot? It was. Is Josh Barnett, you know, is Josh Barnett really looking to tear Jay White a new one for hurting Jim Ross? Yeah, apparently um, Josh Barnett was upset, obviously, by the whole thing happening, but apparently Jay White taunted. Uh, he taunted what happened, uh, probably, obviously, in character, though, as, you know, Switchblade, and apparently that really set off Josh Barnett, so that's why he was like, okay, now I have to tear his head off. <laughs> So the fact that he kind of laughed about it uh, is what really set him off. Well, you know, and that's exactly what he did. In very beautiful heel fashion, Jay White, if Barnett's outside the ring, White is inside the ring. If Barnett's inside the ring, White is sliding outside of the ring. And then, so that obviously shows Switchblade as a chicken shit heel, but then in that sort of like, I'm better than you heel persona, Jay White does the dismissive like, Hand, back, uh, back of the hand wave, right. as if to tell the referee, get this guy out of my ring. Oh, it was so good. Nice. Well, it I mean, so it, it, it's great work from, uh, you know, Jay White, um, but unfortunate for Jim Ross because, I mean, he suffered a major injury here, right? Yeah, they uh, at first they believed Jim Ross had actually suffered from some broken ribs. Now, while they do not appear to be broken, he has severely bruised ribs, and a, from what I understand, a compromised lung and sternum. The fall was bad enough that at his advanced age, and of course, hell, how, how many hours had he been sitting still at this point? Anybody at any age being jostled uh, from a position of stillness, uh, he suffered basically a, a massive trauma to his torso. And apparently the biggest concern among doctors is that all of this compromised, you know, chest region could possibly lead to problematic pneumonia. Right. Now, I don't know if that's them jumping to conclusions or not, but, you know, now all of a sudden, out of nowhere, what looked like an amazing uh, revolutionary uh, line-blurring cool wrestling spot is now causing great concern for the held of Jim Ross. Yeah, that's not so, not good. And, 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 and to be fair, that wasn't the intention. It, it's not like it's not like Jay White threw Juice Robinson at Jim Ross, where it would have been a 100% Jay White's uh, fault. So that this was kind of a side effect of a spot. But I mean, obviously, Jay White was the one, the catalyst for it. So he's going to, of course, get all the negative feedback for it. So By the time all this is finished, uh, they, they go back and forth some more. Juice is fighting from underneath. He's the all-American hero now. And he finishes, uh, well, not finishes off Jay White, but like goes a long way toward finishing Jay White off with a Russian leg sweep 
off the apron to the floor. Ow. Now, I don't know about you, but I will not take a Russian leg sweep off the apron to the floor. I will take one in the ring onto a mattress, uh, let alone <laughs> off the ring onto the floor. Yeah, I mean, God, how many, how many breathing exercises are you doing that day to be prepared to basically take a back bump from like a six or seven foot drop. Yeah. These wrestlers I mean, are really, really good shape, Darren. So another reason why well, I never became one. In the end, Juice Robinson does defeat Switchblade and hooray for America. Yeah, we did it. Juice Robinson. Hooray for the much more French looking Juice Robinson representing the United States. Over New Zealand's switchblade. And so close to the 4th of July, too. So it all came full circle. <laughs> yep, and uh, Juice Robinson is now your third IWGP United States champion. What surprised that Jay White did drop the belt so quickly because belts tend to stay on people for a very long time. Also very surprised that we are, this, we are in North America, very close to, you know, Canada and, and you know, and there is no Chris Jericho at this show, uh, which is also a little surprising to me. But I guess they're saving him for special occasions. I don't know. Yeah, and it's very likely that uh, even even the, even the possibility of Fozzie having uh, pre-booked dates that just didn't work out um, with this situation. But uh, I, w I was surprised to see no, no sign and no mention of Jericho, really. Well, he is only the IWGP Intercontinental Champion, so why would he be at a New Japan event? Continue. <laughs> well, we have left our main event of the evening as Kenny Omega, the cleaner of the Bullet Club and the leader of the Golden Elite, the IWGP heavyweight champion, takes on his great Bullet Club rival, friend-turned-foe, Cody, don't call him Rhodes, the American Nightmare. The son of the American dream, Dusty Rhodes. It is, of course, Cody Rhodes who we're talking about. And everyone's calling him that. He's calling himself that. Jim Ross is calling him that. Kenny is calling him that. The only time he's not Cody Rhodes is when they put his name up on the screen. So I do like that. I think they're trying to steer clear of the, the legalities, but they're not hiding the fact that this is, of course, Cody Rhodes. Well, Jim Ross... <laughs> Bless his heart. I mean, he's got a he's got a he's programmed to say Cody Rhodes. So I, uh, that I, much is true. Yeah, I, I, I would I would get that. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, as far as uh, as far as legal stuff goes, you can say whatever you want. Like uh, you know, quick example: Big Bang Theory, right? I mean, they're a Warner Brothers produced show and all that stuff. So they talked about that they show like all Superman, Batman, Flash, Green Lantern stuff. They can talk about Spider-Man and X-Men all they wanted, but the second you see Spider-Man comic appear on the screen, that's when you have legal issues. So, I mean, like they'll they'll say like, you know, AJ Styles when um uh Omega hit the Styles clash on uh, Okada, you know, and AJ's certainly not a new Japan person anymore. Like they'll still say people's names and you can, it's fine. You know, unless you want to be a real dick about it and come after people. Uh, but, I mean, you have to give credit where credit's due. And sometimes you're talking about wrestlers who are not with the company anymore and, you know, for references. And I, I think there might be there might be a little bit of, like, okay, you can do a little bit of that. but And, and we'll, we'll do it also, but, you know. 
<laughs> Keep it down to a dull roar. Right, right, right. Well, uh, i tell you what's not a dull roar, and that is uh, Cody's uh, very proud entrance, uh, wearing purple and gold adorned like some sort of Byzantine emperor uh, carried out on a sedan by four uh, strong men and accompanied, of course, by the beautiful Brandy Rhodes, Cody uh, returning to the dark hair, apparently preparing for a movie role. Uh, he has ditched the bleach blonde locks uh, that he had just recently turned to to be much more like his father and his brother in appearance. No, back with the dark hair in all of his regal and royal purple and gold, Cody comes down to the ring prepared to not only take the IWGP championship away from Kenny Omega, but also take the sole leadership of the hottest organization in professional wrestling in the last decade, the Bullet Club. And uh, so that's what was on the line here. Officially, as far as New Japan is concerned, that gold belt, but just as official in the eyes of the Bullet Club and fans around the world, the leadership, the leadership of the, of the Bullet Club. It seemed at one time like Kenny was out, but now he is very much in and trying to take back the Bullet Club for himself. So that is on the line. Before the match started, there was an excellent, excellent video package um, where there were all these amazing uh, still photos of former IWGP champions. And it was super cool to see you know, the great Muda, uh, and then, of course, all the Gaijin, like uh, Bob Sapp and Brock Lesnar and Scott Norton and AJ Styles. And then, of course, we get to see Shinsuke Nakamura and, like, lots of, the lots of, great, lots of great wrestlers and Scott Norton. Yeah. <laughs> and Bob Sapp. But, <laughs> uh, still very, very, very cool uh, there to see Omega pop up at the end, and then of course be uh, be the champion in this match. This match, uh, I'll fast forward to the very end. All of a sudden, and uh, Kenny makes it known that uh, Cody fought a very valiant fight because that's exactly what this match is. These two guys are beating each other within an inch of their life. Uh, at the power bomb to Cody outside of the ring onto a table that does not break. Oh yeah, bounces off of it. I mean that's some that's hideous looking. The the massive superplex off the top of a 12 foot ladder that, that Cody hits Kenny with. Uh, which for a second you're you're they tease the idea Kenny's gonna superplex Cody off that 12 foot ladder outside through that table. But what of course a, that's one of these days that'll happen. But this match is is pretty outstanding. You you get to see both of these guys. You get to see, well, I don't know. I don't know if this is Kenny at his very best. This is Cody at his very best. Uh, we've seen better matches out of Kenny Omega. Uh, it's just no competing with the Kenny Okada, especially the the last one. Especially the second one, actually. Yeah. But, Again, that, that um, second one. <laughs> that yeah, second that, one, though. That second one, though. But... <laughs> This match is, is pretty killer. It really is. There's a lot of uh, a lot of solid wrestling. Part of the storyline here, uh, leading up to this to this match and this night, was that Cody Rhodes was not actually 
the in-ring competitor uh, that he is advertised to be and that he was going to prove it on this night? Well, I think he did. I really think he did. It was not just that he was a guy who was coming hot off of a big-time WWE run, not that he's the son of Dusty Rhodes, but all by himself, uh, Cody is a, is a big-time player in the world of wrestling. The thing is, when Cody Rhodes came off of his WWE contract and hit the indies, and people were like, oh, Cody Rhodes, Cody Rhodes – he wasn't that guy. Like, he, he wasn't the guy. He was the guy that literally was just the guy from WWE, so he's a big deal. I mean, he'll always be the son of Dusty Rhodes, and, and, and that's always going to elevate Cody um, to a fault, maybe even sometimes. Uh, but that'll always give him, like, automatic street cred. Um, but he, in the beginning, and I didn't like Cody Rhodes. I mean, you go back to the beginnings of the podcast, I was never a huge fan of Cody Rhodes because I, he didn't fit that role for me. He was literally just the guy that left WWE, and now he can write his own ticket because, again, WWE is on his uh, resume. Um, but he, th- through the years, I mean, he actually built himself up and became this, uh, th- this you know, Cody that everyone now knows and loves and part of the Bullet Club and feuding with Omega and feuding with, you know, whoever. Like, like now he finally is the guy that everyone, you know, said he should be or, or would be or is. Now he legit is. You know, he's not he's not the guy that, like, oh, no, that's his gimmick that he's this. It's like, no, he actually is that now. So all the credit in the world to Cody Rhodes uh, for becoming the guy, you know what I mean? Um and uh, I, I, I do wonder what the future is for Cody in the, uh, the world of New Japan. I know he's going back to WWE someday. It's just, it's going to happen. Um, but uh, right now he's doing some great work. And you, you actually saw this match at WrestleMania weekend, didn't you? You saw Omega and Cody Rhodes. I did. I saw the first uh, iteration of this match. Um, it was the uh, sub-main event for Supercard of Honor. The largest uh, attendance for a Ring of Honor show in Ring of Honor history. Um, In New Orleans, the night before WrestleMania, I was lucky enough to be in attendance. And um, (laughs) it was the night that not only did we get to see uh, Kenny and Cody go at it, but uh, it was the same night that uh, a friend of the show, Rich Bokini, almost had to fight... uh, uh, a quote-unquote wrestling journalist who, uh, I guess, left his couth uh, at home. And uh, so, anyway, not, not a lot of people were privy to that, but uh, a lot of us were privy. Anybody paying attention? I'm not, I'm not privy to that. Wait, wait, wait you got to tell me what happened uh, with Rich and some reporter after the show's over. Uh, just so, yeah, I'll tell you so. I'll tell you off the air. or uh, you. you can wait and let Rich tell you. Uh Hopefully we'll be talking to Rich really soon. I'll again. text. I'll text Rich. They're like, what the hell happened? Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, Kenny and Cody is a good match. It is. Uh, it's indicative of where we are uh, as a as a wrestling industry in 2018. Some of the biggest, most important seismic uh, shifts in pro wrestling are happening in Japan or they're happening in small venues, or they're happening with independent wrestling companies. Um, and I think that all of that leads directly to the, this, this super show that will be all in. Um, that all signs point to all in. But 
on this night in San Francisco this past Saturday, the 7th of July. Uh, we did get to see uh, Kenny Omega retain the IWGP Heavyweight Championship and preserve the sanctity of the Bullet Club. He he is quick. Throughout the match, we saw Brandy trying to protect Cody. We saw the Young Bucks pleading with Cody not to do particularly nasty or possibly harmful things to Kenny. And in the aftermath of the three count, we see Kenny Omega extend a hand to Cody Rhodes and, and to say, you know, you're my brother, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, after Cody and Brandy retreat to the back uh, to the backstage, we have Kenny left in the ring with the Young Bucks, thanking the crowd, uh, saying that we've all done our part, we've all uh, proven something here with this show, from the uh, Japanese legends to the uh, Gaijin champions to the guy at the uh, popcorn stand. And, uh, <laughs> And that he was also going to take that opportunity to say that things of the Bullet Club are fine. Uh, Cody is welcome in the Bullet Club. And uh, and that's where they will be going. Then they leave the room. You know, he, he kisses the tip of his gun. Uh, you know. Goodbye. Uh, good night. Goodbye. Bang. And good night. Bang. And then, of course, as they, uh, the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, together, of course, known as the Elite, uh Go up to the to the entrance. Go up the entrance ramp to go backstage. They're joined uh, by the uh, the Tongans. Of course, Tama Tonga, Tonga Loa, and their father King Haku. Uh, a chorus of two sweets, two sweets all around. And I, I think I overheard Matt Jackson say, "I thought we weren't supposed to do this anymore," <laughs> uh, which was which was pretty funny. But they're definitely doing it. And then. Uh, out of nowhere, Tama Tonga blindsides Kenny Omega and knocks him to the floor. And as we see, this was a setup by the Tongans, by the Gorillas of Destiny, the Sons of Haku, and Haku himself. As these three men dismantle the other three men, Kenny Omega, Matt, and Nick Jackson, and rip off their Bullet Club shirts to reveal firing squad shirts um, which of course would confuse the twitterverse tama tonga himself had to take to twitter and say no we're still the bullet club we're just the actual bullet club firing squad is representative of what we were that night right but we are the bullet club not kenny and the bucks not cody not gallows and anderson not finn not aj they can have the OGBC if they want to, but we, the Tongans, the firing squad, we're the Bullet Club. What about Bad Fale? Where does he fall in? Bad Luck Fale did not make the trip. And I'm thinking the dude is, is from New Zealand, but he's Polynesian. So, like, he fits with the Tongans. So I wonder if when they get back to Japan. Oh, he's in like Flynn. Hell yeah. He's got to be. <laughs> because we talk about OG Bullet Club, I mean, it doesn't get any more OG than Bad Luck Fale. So no more Olive Garden than Bad Luck Fale. So the rest of the uh, the Bullet Club comes out, and that's when you are kind of reminded that it's the Bullet Club really is kind of bloated right now. Um, 
right now. It's, well, been, it's been bloated for a while. Like, like the, kind, of, kind of like the NWO hit critical mass until it eventually split into two separate NWOs. Well, that's my point, is I think that's where, we're, where we are. Right. Um, the, they've been... Other people have pointed out that they were a little bloated in the past, but I, but I am of the opinion that it's right now that it's, it's too big. Um, first of all, yeah, you got people like uh, Owen and... and uh, Yujiro Takahashi, just please, just, <laughs> just spare, spare us. Um, uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with the Golden Elite. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Cody. Uh, when Cody first came back out, it looked for one second like he might be with the Tongans, and he was going to finish what he started with this feud with Kenny. But oh no, he showed that he was returning the kindness favor to Kenny Omega by helping chase off the Tongans and Anyway, it kind of ends in chaos. Uh, Bullet Club is... Chaos comes out? Does chaos, the faction, come out? No, actually, no. It's all Bullet Club. And uh, in true American wrestling fashion, this did not end like a New Japan show. This ended like an old episode of Nitro. Yay! Um, but, hey, that's okay with me. Yeah, that's that's but, okay. Well, I mean, I know the next, uh, the next uh, New Japan show, the main event is Kenny... Kenny Omega, he's fighting the popcorn vendor that he called out at the end of the yes, show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that may not be true. That may not be true. No, I think that uh, what we're actually going to see is we're going to see Kenny Omega against Kota Ibushi. Uh, as part of the uh, the G1 tournament, um, uh, I don't even, I'm not really aware of all the matchups, but there's some uh, intriguing matchups to be sure with the, the G1 uh, tournament, the G1 Grand Prix, if you will. Um, but on that, that'll do it for this night in San Francisco. And uh, I look forward to any and all New Japan shows that I can take in, whether they're on American soil, whether they're on Japanese soil, Access TV or NJPW World. I want to get my eyeballs in front of it. Um, it was just announced that uh, New Japan and Ring of Honor will be co-producing a show at Madison Square Garden the weekend of WrestleMania 35 next year, New York, New Jersey. If Vince so, doesn't elbow them out uh, like he did with ROH. Uh, well, no, apparently it seems to be a secure a secure deal. So We'll see him on that. I um, know, I know. No, 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 uh, that's fine, that's fine. That's going to do it, though, for our coverage of the G1 Special in San Francisco. New Japan Wrestling, uh, always <laughs> way too good. Uh, can't get enough of that stuff. And that's going to take us to the place that we can get enough of WWE, folks, where Darren and I, we got to go head-to-head with our thoughts and opinions on Extreme Rules, which is going down this weekend. So Darren and I are going to go into it. Darren, you ready? I'm ready. I was born ready. This Sunday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, WWE is going to get extreme in their sort, sort. in their own not extreme at all kind of way. Uh, for Extreme Rules, the pay per view co branded pay per view, as all PPVs slash network exclusives are henceforth in the world of WWE, uh, which is probably for the better. I think everyone got a little network exclusive out when there were two a month. Um, quite a few matches. Uh, Thrown onto this show, there's what? Yeah, there are 11 matches on this show. 
Uh, one match, if you want to call it that, because technically it's a kickoff show match, uh, which really needed to be on the main card, I thought. It does involve six people uh, who are all worth being on the uh, the main show. Uh, the show will kick off with a tables match between two rival factions, uh, Sanity and uh, New Day. And I'm sure New Day was happy when Sanity showed up. They were like, oh, thank God, another another trio to fight. Thank Christ. Um so Sanity's making their WWE pay-per-view slash network exclusive debut here at Extreme Rules. Sorta, again, on the kickoff show, which is not quite on the main show. Um, but it should be a good match, actually. I'm looking forward to it. Um, Sanity, of course. Killian Dane, Eric Young, and Alexander Wolf taking on uh, Kofi Kingston. Xavier Wood and uh, Big E. So who do you think is going to go over? I, I think Sanity kind of needs this win, right? Uh... Of course they need it, but I think they're going to... I think the WWE writers are going to treat Sanity with little um, respect. Not, I don't mean they're going to sabotage their careers, but I think they're going to kind of look at Sanity like, unfortunately, the way they, they look at uh, the Ascension. I think that Sanity, they'll look at them as like, all right, here's some solid hands. They can go out. They can work. That's not how I look at them. Right. I look at them as an amazing trio who absolutely should beat the New Day, but they won't. Right, right, right. I'm um, pretty sure that, yes, while they might need to win it, there's no chance. I can see this ending with Kofi doing some big spot and then like someone moving out of the way and Kofi going through a table, right? I mean... Since this is like a six-man tables match, does that mean every individual man has to go through a table? I think that all three members of a team. So that way, you can almost be like a, almost be like a best of three falls match, right? Where two members of New Day go through, and then one member of Sanity, and then it's like, oh, New Day's fighting from behind. Or... To me, I would have this show on. The, I would have this match on the main show because it is extreme rules for fuck's sake, and I would take that thirty-minute Intercontinental Championship Iron Man match and put it on the pre-show as just a time killer on the pre-show because um, Iron Man matches should not be thirty minutes long. I don't care who you are. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go with Sanity going uh, over on New Day on this one, and already we disagree. Look at us. Ooh. 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 Next up. Yeah, well, at least there are some matches that, on paper, have quote-unquote extreme rules. Although, if you remember, this pay-per-view was born out of the ashes of ECW One Night Stand. What did the E stand for? Uh, extreme. Okay. You know, I think the best thing to come out of this pay-per-view is are those photo shoots that, they, that WWE did for their website, where they took current superstars... And dress them up as uh, ECW originals, uh, which I hate the term ECW originals, but it does illustrate a point. Um, well, well have- Sandman's more important to the world of ECW than, say, uh, C.W. Anderson. We'll, we'll put it that way. Well, no, I mean, I, I get the point of it. I just, the, the name is a little lame. Um but, it's uh, just a term they can trademark and repeatedly use, Darren. It's okay. Yeah, well, I just, I really hated it, like, when WWE CW was around, and it would be like, oh, here come the ECW originals, and it would be like Sandman, Sabu, Rob Van Dam, uh, Tommy Dreamer, and they would treat them like they were coming out of the old folks' home. I'm like, <laughs> look, 
like those guys were seriously only like 40 at that time. Oh God. If you're 40 in the world of wrestling though, geez, I hope the, hope the show is a uh, early day because you got to get that early bird special at Shoney's. Yeah. God. Well, we're going to find out the ECW originals down at Shoney's. <laughs> they pay me in tapioca. <laughs> no, but like, uh, check out WWE.com for these pictures. They're pretty cool. Sonya Deville's Raven, uh, Becky Lynch as uh, Tommy Dreamer. Shinsuke as Sabu. Uh, yeah, Shinsuke as Sabu. Uh, we got Lana as the Sandman, uh, which is a little weird. Rusev as Cactus Jack was kind of funny. Uh, Asuka as a member of the BWO. Right. Um, I'd like to pretend it was the Blue Meanie. Um, <laughs> so would Blue anyway, Meanie. In the spirit of Extreme Rules, there is a steel cage match booked between Braun Strowman and Kevin Owens. Now, this should be, if I'm booking, Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens in a steel cage, this should be your main event. And the prize should be the universal title. Right, right. But leave it to Brock Lesnar to bungle it all to hell. <laughs> I mean, Kevin Owens is a former universal champion. There aren't too many of those. Um, there really aren't. And Braun Strowman is someone who will one day and be universal champion. Good. Yeah. Um, so, no, this does seem like a marquee match. Like, uh, But it was put together basically, what, on Raw? This past Raw? is when uh, Kurt Angle uh, said that this match is going down. So a little surprised this match took this long to come together as far as like it actually being announced. Because um, obviously Owens and Strowman have had a problem with each other for a while. So that's no surprise. They're fighting, but a steel cage match you know, with basically a week to go into the pay-per-view seems like a very short amount of time to get people interested in the match. So. Yeah, well, I'm interested in Kevin Owens, Braun Strowman, though, period. Like... Uh, having not been glued to my television set lately, this one still actually excites me. Um, even without, you know, bearing witness to, to, to this, to the, to, uh, every second of the setup, this is a match I want to see. Yeah. The good thing about this, uh, card actually is that you're, we're starting to see people veer off into new feuds and wrestle new people, which is great for your fucking eyeballs because you're tired of watching the same people wrestle over and over again you know even like we talked about this before but even like you know leading up to wrestlemania and then spilling spilling out beyond wrestlemania so that there's a lot of like new people interacting here so it's like oh good this will actually be new i won't feel like i've already seen this seven times so seeing Strowman and kevin owens should be very interesting yeah who you got i got uh Strowman. I also have Strong. Right, because I feel like he can't lose to Owens. Or if he does, it's going to be him like accidentally ripping down the wall of a steel cage and Kevin Owens just dives through it really quickly, which could, could also be pretty funny. Yeah, it could be. I, I, but I don't think they're going to do that just that quickly after the Brock Lesnar. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree with that completely too. So. But I, I think this could be the best match of the night if they'll let it be. If they'll because let it be. I believe in Strowman. I certainly believe in his strength. And I definitely believe in the the wrestler and the performer that is Kevin Owens. He's so good. Right. Should be entertaining. Moving on, we got Finn Balor uh, taking on Constable Baron Corbin. So Baron Corbin shaves his head, and all of a sudden he has to have a new gimmick because he shaved his head. So now he's calling himself Constable 
Baron Corbin, which is funny because the name Baron in itself sounds like a sounds like a title. So now it sounds like he has double titles for a name: Constable Baron Corbin, M.D. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like his name is Landlord Landlord Corbin. <laughs> uh, here is King Kingsley. <laughs> King Lord God. King Lord God. Well, sort of like God Emperor of Doom. Yeah, there you go. So you don't need to be both of those things. One is good enough. Especially if it's God. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, I don't. I don't like this. I like the shaved head on uh, God Lord uh, Baron Corbin, but I don't like the gimmick. Well, Baron Corbin got tired of people uh, making fun of him for losing his hair, so he shaved his head, and now they make fun of him for having a shaved head. Uh, you really can't win. So, you know how you could win? Don't bring Kane back to, to ruin Daniel Bryan's return. Whoa, bring whoa. Back. Don't bring Kane back to... to screw up Daniel Bryan's return, bring Kane back as Baron Corbin's father. Oh, here we go. Here we go, folks. Here we go. Hey, guess what? Have him burn Baron Corbin. Give him a reason to shave his head. Put the Kane mask on Corbin. Don't make him Kane Jr. Don't make him Kane Part 2. He's still Baron Corbin, but now he's burnt, and he can kind of perpetuate the Kane gimmick. Oh, my God, it would be so good. And it'll never happen. Then he would be the Constable Baron Corbin DDS. He would take the <laughs> Sir Isaac Yankum. Or Sir Isaac Yankum! I meant Dr. Isaac Yankum. Clearly I'm caught up on uh, prefixes and titles and uh, what have you. So Finn Balor versus uh, Baron Corbin. Who do you got? I got Finn Balor because uh, Constable Baron Corbin might as well be just Joe. Or... Brad Maddox or, you know, any of these guys that, that they, they take a wrestler and they put him in a, uh, a cheap suit and have him pretend to be some sort of uh, weird authority figure. I don't, yeah, I don't he, like he, it. He went from, yeah, he went from, uh, I'm, a, I'm a death metal guy, a crazy headbanger to, oh, shave my head. Oh, I'm respectable now, everyone. So right. I, I don't I don't like that at all. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Balor as well. Uh, moving on, U.S. title up for grabs here. Jeff Hardy defending against Shinsuke Nakamura. So they got tired of Shinsuke losing to AJ Styles enough. They even had the match on SmackDown, which was a decent match. Uh, they were just like, hey, how about this, Shinsuke? How about now you, you want that U.S. title real bad? Um, <laughs> it's like, great, that's wonderful. Be a potential U.S. champion. Um, I'd be surprised if Shinsuke lost to Jeff Hardy. Um, I also, apparently Jeff Hardy is suffering from a couple of injuries as well. So I think he might need to take some time off. Um, he's very injury prone, this this Jeff Hardy. Maybe because he's uh, fallen off of ladders for the last uh, a couple decades. Well, and now that he is, I mean, and this is going to sound like a, this is either going to sound like a joke or like extremely harsh criticism. It's neither. It's simply the reality that he also, now that he's clean, I don't know that he's exactly sober, but now that he's clean off of hard drugs and he can feel feelings again, yeah. I'm sure that a lot of these injuries become evident 
more quickly and more intensely than they used to. Not just because of his accelerated, you know, age and the accumulation of a career of injuries, but seriously, the fact that he's not doped up all the time, it's like, oh my God, my knees. Yeah, that's got to be tough because, I mean, Jeff Hardy obviously has been known for taking, you know, doing high-risk maneuvers and jumping off of ladders and falling through tables and stuff. At a young age, he's been doing it for years. Now he's older and he's clean, we hope, you know, not taking as many uh, pain pills and what have you. So, I mean, the pain's got to be worse. Um, so that 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 is true. It's interesting you put it that way. Um, but so, I, you think, so you think Nakamura's got it then? Oh, my God. Don't they owe Nakamura something? They and do. then this is nothing, by the way. They, they, this is a drop in the bucket compared to what I think they owe Shinsuke Nakamura. Um, but if, if Shinsuke doesn't win this match, then I don't even know what to say about Shinsuke Nakamura anymore. Well, if it's a drop in the bucket, then I have only one thing to say. Two tears in a bucket? Motherfuck it. I'm going with Shinsuke Nakamura. <laughs> I, I echo that statement, I suppose. So we both got Shinsuke on that one. Moving on, Roman Reigns taking on Bobby Lashley. It's just uh, two bulls fighting each other. I wonder how hostile that crowd's going to be. Because uh, <laughs> Roman Reigns <laughs> against Jinder Mahal uh, at the last PPV did not get a, a great reception um, so I, I wonder if, if the audience is going to basically do the same thing again. Yeah, I, uh, they'll probably eat Roman Reigns alive. They don't really have a reason to do that to Bobby Lashley. If if they want to chant something negative about Bobby Lashley, they need to be shouting to the backstage, like, do something better with him. <laughs> right. Something along those lines. Um, like, a, like I said earlier, Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley. If you're not going to make Braun Strowman versus Kevin Owens be for the Universal title, really, Roman Reigns versus Bobby Lashley is that. Just the belt's invisible. Right. I mean, there there, there is no uh, established extreme rules for this match. These are two of your top dogs, so to speak. Uh, and yet nothing is on the line. Uh Okay. Well, I think the winner becomes the number one contender. Is that kind of what's going on here? I think that's kind of what's going on, but when are they going to get that fight? Well, what's funny is they they both announced that they were the number one contenders on their own, even though Roman Reigns, again, should should be miles away if there is a hierarchy uh, <laughs> of becoming number one contendership um, because he's failed so many times. So, but I guess they were like, okay, you guys are both right, but you guys got to fight each other. The winner becomes the actual number one contender. Um, people don't want to see Roman Reigns fight Lesnar again, uh, so you might need to have Lashley fight Lesnar. I, I think if Lashley loses to Reigns at this point, it's Lashley's not going to look too good. And I, I'd, I'd hate that they brought Lashley back just to feed him to Reigns, which doesn't make any sense to me. It's a bad business move. Um, so I'm going to have to go with Lashley winning. Yeah, I'm going to go with Lashley as well. Um, if we do end up with Lashley versus Brock in the WWE for the Universal title, I like Dave Meltzer's idea that you create some sort of specialty octagon-style match. Uh, we saw it 20 years ago with Ken Shamrock and Owen Hart. Um, I don't the the know Lions Den to- match? Yeah, I don't know that you need to necessarily repeat the Lions Den match 
or the uh, what the, we actually saw the dungeon match. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, you, you know, you don't necessarily need to recreate that. I also don't think you need to straight up uh, rip off uh, an octagon, but uh, maybe you do something special for that match if we do see it. Um, simply because these guys both have the MMA background. Um, Darren, it's a horrible idea. <laughs> what, kind, what are you what talking kind of, about, uh, Darren? What are you talking about? It, it might be bad. It wouldn't be as bad as a wrestling match between the two. Is it a shoot fight? Is it an actual MMA no, fight? No, of course not. Well, then no. I, I, think, I think you discredit wrestling and you discredit Brock Lesnar if you have a fake MMA fight on wrestling. I think that's a bad idea. And also, even if you had a real one, then it's going to be like, oh, all the fights are bullshit except for this one real fight. This is actually this is the only real fight. Oh, no. No, the, the, this one they actually fight for real. There's the one time no, when no, it's not no, fake of bullshit. Of course, you, of course you don't book it that way. But people will think of it that way, Darren. Because I, 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 heard, I heard Meltzer say that as well. And, and at first I was like, oh, they could do that. But then I thought, oh, but they shouldn't do that. Because even if it were a le- legitimate MMA fight, worst thing that could happen is Lashley beats Lesnar. And then Lesnar's going in to fight, you know, the UFC champion. It's like, Lashley just kicked Lesnar's ass. Um, so that would be horrible. Uh, if it were a real fight, then it would shit on all the fake fights. If it were, even if it were a real fight, people would still think it were a fake fight. You know what I mean? There's so many ways it can go wrong. Because I've already had this conversation with myself. Well, there's so many ways this could go wrong because this shouldn't be happening. Right. Uh, there, Brock Lesnar should not be bouncing back and forth. Um, if it were two legitimate sports, maybe. If Lesnar were going back and forth between a boxing ring and the UFC, or if he were pulling a Bo Jackson or a Deion Sanders and playing baseball and football, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But I, there is no other comparison. There is nothing to say. There's no comparison for what Lesnar's doing, uh, straddling the fence between pro wrestling and ultimate fighting. There's not. There is no other thing that could be. I mean, I don't even know. I don't even know what that would be. Right. It's, we're, yeah, we're, getting, we're getting into muddy waters, basically. It's uh, we're getting into blues musician. It's not good. It's right, not right. good. It's not going to end well. There's going to be when it's all said and done. There's going to be more criticism than applause. Oh, absolutely, but, absolutely. But uh, anyway, I am going with Lashley, though. Yeah, me too. Which takes us to the thirty-minute Iron Man match. So it's more of a, more of a, more of an aluminum match, right? Uh, yeah, there we go. An aluminum man match for the Intercontinental Championship. Dolph Ziggler defending against Seth Rollins. He will have Drew McIntyre in his corner. Uh, McIntyre defeated Seth Rollins on Raw, which means that he could be ringside for this match. Uh, so yeah, good uh, Iron Man match where there's a definitely another person involved. Like that's. That's neat, I guess. Why not just give the belt to Drew McIntyre if he already beat Seth Rollins? Hi, you can't beat my lackey. You can't. So now you get a shot at me? That's not how video games work. Didn't they, didn't they ever play any video games? <laughs> That's right. You you couldn't beat my sub-boss, but now you get to fight me. 
Yeah, well, you, you know wrestling uh, wrestling logic, Darren. Um, the thing is here, though, how about in a co-branded pay-per-view where you're trying to get as many people on as possible? How about not have a guaranteed half-hour-long match? How about have maybe a killer 15, 20-minute match and then feature another couple people wrestling in a match? How about some women? Sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with Ziggler retaining, though. Yeah, Ziggler retains here, um, and then they need to double down. They've got to double down on the HBK Diesel comparison. So far, so good. Yeah, they they got to go full tilt boogie here because, I, I mean, I need to see Ziggler and McIntyre like all the way to the top. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of duos, Kane and Daniel Bryan are back together again, reforming Team Hell No, which to me is actually a pretty smart idea until they figure out what the hell to do with Daniel Bryan because the whole cast thing kind of blew up and now Big Cast is out of the Federation. Um, and Kane, they have only really used as a filler for stories anyway. Um, so putting them back together again, it happened. And I was kind of like, well, that, that does make sense. Um, and if any team can just beat the Bludgeon Brothers finally, I think it would be them. However, this is still bad for tag team wrestling because, again, you have so many actual legit tag team wrestlers but no, here comes Guy and Guy put together again, and they're going to be in the tag team spotlight. Because I think they are going over on the Bludgeon Brothers. I do too. I think they go over, and the and I I don't care. I mean, I've already lost enough sleep in my life uh, over tag team wrestling in WWE. So <laughs> you know, don't cry for me, Argentina, and don't cry over WWE's tag division. Uh, Cry over Daniel Bryan's stifled uh, career comeback. Daniel Bryan lose the t-shirt, lose the tag team partner, go out there and wrestle again. If if you're going to wrestle, wrestle. The the most attractive part of Daniel Bryan trying to get back in the ring was when I hoodwinked myself into believing we would see him in New Japan. Right. Uh, because if anybody was going to make that kind of jump, it would be Daniel Bryan, because to him it's a, you know, it's about the wrestling. Right. It's not about Total Divas. It's not about Team Hell No. It's not about WrestleMania. Not anymore. He's already been to the top of the mountain. Uh, the, you want to see the peak of Daniel Bryan's career, watch the end of WrestleMania 30. He's not going to have that moment again, so he should have he, he should have chased the dragon somewhere else outside of the company, because the company is pigeonholing him as we speak. Having him have a the the B brands tag belt with a part time partner, I mean, I can't even finish the sentence. I'm so bored by it. <laughs> hey, those SmackDown tag team championships. Now, that, that, that'll that'll tie him over until his uh, that's a little hors d'oeuvre until the the main course, Darren. Okay, we'll see. I don't think the main course is coming, Daniel. I'm sorry. I, I don't either. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> that takes us. Speaking of SmackDown, uh, SmackDown women's title is up for grabs. Carmella defending against Oscar, uh, the Empress of Tomorrow, with James Ellsworth, who is now back and cost Oscar her chance at winning the belt uh, against Carmella the last time. Uh, now Ellsworth will be suspended above the ring in a shark cage. Now I'm going to explain to you one more time, Darren. Shark cages are for keeping sharks away. Uh, they're not. 
they're not for keeping sharks. Gotta go back to the takeover where Paul Ellering was in a shark cage. And then you, <laughs> for some reason, you had it backwards that sharks were supposed to be in the cage. And it's like, no, 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 sharks are kept out of the cage. <laughs> so I had to, had to bring that back for some of you longtime listeners. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, no problem. So James Ellsworth goes in the cage. Cage goes above the ring. <laughs> Our ring. <laughs> yes. Jaws reference, uh, kids. Uh, so Ellsworth is not involved, but he will be the focus of the match, sadly. Um, and Carmella versus Asuka is not a good wrestling match. I don't care what the situation is. Um, they, they just don't jive well together in the ring at all. It's very awkward and stunted. Um, but I do think Carmella retains it because they will do anything but let Asuka be the goddamn women's champion. Um, so I'm going to go with Carmella because I know better. I am also going to go with Carmella. Because you know better. Because I know better. Uh, also, I think they will give it to Asuka at some point. I don't think it, I just don't think it's this point. Oh my god. That takes us to the Raw Tag Team Championship match. The Deleters of Worlds, which is Bray Wyatt and Matt Hardy. <laughs> They're a tag team. Uh, taking on the B Team a.k.a. Bo Dallas and, and Curtis Axel. Um, Deleters of Worlds versus Team Hell No, I thought would be a really good match. Uh, but uh, this is actually... It's decent. I like the B-Team okay. I'm glad they're not called the Miztourage anymore. Because, one, it was weird they were even called the Miztourage to begin with. Because it's two men who are not the Miz, named after the wrestler that's not in the team. And also with Miz being not on the show anymore, if they were still called the Miztourage, it wouldn't work for me. So I'm glad they had that. They were smart enough to realize that. So, um, I do think I the deleters. I don't like the B team. I don't like that name. I don't like the T-shirt. I don't like the gimmick. It reeks of Job Squad to me. And while I hated Bob Holly and Gilberg, Lord knows I loved Al Snow and the Blue Meanie. Right. So it's not what comprised the Job Squad. It was the idea of the Job Squad. Here, let's give them a cheap-looking T-shirt because they're cheap. Because they're because they suck. Right. Uh, to like, me, though, B team is more playoff of B list celebrity, um, which they need to push a bit more to, to for that te- that team name to make sense and to not just to be oh well they're losers uh, so B team you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's that way any way you slice it, and the T-shirt just hammers that home. <laughs> hey, at least they have a T-shirt, Darren. They're very happy to have a T-shirt. I don't like Curtis Axel. He's not good. Wow, take that. You're saying his? You're saying uh, he's not as good as his father, Kurt Hennig? Yeah, he's not. Well, Kurt Hennig was perfect. Uh, it's true. This is true. It's hard to beat that. Apparently, apparently, Curtis Axel is like The Rock's favorite wrestler, and like what? What? Um, like, come on. Dwayne. Uh, Don the yeah. Rock Morocco, I assume is what you're talking uh, about. Um, Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Oh, okay, that guy. I've heard I of him. Be- I really can't believe I ever got used to saying that. Um, I remember when that, when the very first time they started saying Dwayne the Rock Johnson, I was like, I'll never say that. I'll never say that. <laughs> I also said that about WWE. And now it's almost hard to say WWF. It really is. I mean, they, they laughed at Jules Verne, uh, Darren. Uh, <laughs> I, I do think that the leaders of Worlds will, uh, will will keep the belts, though. What do you think? 
Yes? I do think so because B-Team has no business uh, around these. And uh, Yeah, if, if the Revival so, can't be the tag team champions, but the B-Team can, there's something wrong in the world of wrestling. Oh, uh, please, Bo and Curtis, even though, <laughs> Bo, you are my baby brother in the real life. Oh, yeah, yeah, the family. This is a family feud right here. I'm telling you, by the way, Bo Dallas, the original NXT champion character uh, of the, uh, like, uh, super over overly positive uh, Bo Dallas was such a good character. Booked properly, should have been awesome and they just did they didn't do it what do you so. mean what do you mean nxt talent didn't do well on the main show uh takes us to our non-main event because they won't let aj styles be in the main event even though he is smackdown champions aj styles the phenomenal one taking on rusev uh and i'm glad i'm, I'm happy to see aj fight someone else because again i'm tired of watching and again ugh, god it's me saying this tired of watching shinsuke fight aj styles let alone lose to aj styles Time and time again. Um, so I'm glad that it's something different. It's something new. AJ's got to retain the right. I, I swear to God, if Rusev wins against AJ immediately and they would not let Shinsuke hold the belt for a week, I will lose it, man. I will lose it. What do you think? Uh, yeah, it has to be AJ because if if it is, I I, I, I somebody would have some splaining to do. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, because in all seriousness, I would be I'd be flabbergasted by a Rusev victory because after all the Nakamura non victories, uh, why, how in the hell would you put it on Rusev? Yeah. Uh, oh, and I and I mean that only in light of the Nakamura losses. Oh, absolutely. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. If, if if the whole Nakamura Styles thing were not a thing, I'd be all for Rusev taking the belt off of, of Styles. Um, because I, I want there to be more to Rusev than just Rusev Day. I like Rusev Day. Uh, I really come around on Aiden English being a part of it, and I, I kind of like that Lana is a part of it, because, again, Lana and Rusev should never, ever, ever, ever be apart. but it's silly. It's silly without some legitimacy. So, I don't know, in a weird way, I almost would like to see Rusev win, but he won't. It's going to be AJ. So we're both going with that one. It takes us to the women's title match, the Raw Women's Championship match. Alexa Bliss taking on Nia Jax. Ronda Rousey will be ringside. She'll be there, not in a wrestling capacity, but I'm sure she'll be involved somehow. Uh, Alexa Bliss taking on uh, Nia. I, I'm pretty sure it's no DQ, this match. I, I mean, it's extreme it's ex- rules. It's being called an extreme rules match. Okay, so that, means, that. that means nothing in a women's match on WWE. I mean... No one even, men don't even bleed on TV anymore. They're definitely not going to open up Nia Jax or Alexa Bliss in an extreme match. So they might as well just be pillow fighting, you know. (laughs) Uh, It'd be a lot cooler if they did. Yeah, it'd be a lot cooler. Man, if if Alexa Bliss just nailed Nia Jax in the face with a kendo stick and busted her open, I would have a newfound respect for Nia Jax. I absolutely would. Uh, oh, but it yeah. won't be that. It's going to be just an awkward, horrible match because Nia's way too big, Alexa's way too small, and, and the ring, it, it doesn't translate well as far as a match goes. I will say this. I bet a kendo stick gets heavily involved, and we're not going to get to see, like, 
the bloody results of it. We're not going to get to have the the fan payoff of, oh, she's busted wide open by the kendo stick. We're not going to see that, which sucks. And then it double sucks for Naya because she's still going to get whacked about ten times with the kendo stick. Oh, yeah, because her, she's big and she can take it. They'll be like, oh, yeah, just yeah. nail her. And her back and her ass are probably going to end up looking like hamburger meat. And yet we'll never get to see it. We won't get to see uh, Naya get put over right. by showing that she can take that kind of damage because of her bodysuit. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, let, let, let Alexa hit her one, crack her one time across the face. <laughs> uh, then Naya can, can, can get over. Right. So Alexa's got to hold on to the belt, right? For sure, for sure. Okay. We gotta build up to Alexa Ronda. Well, there you are. I mean, we uh, disagree only a couple times throughout there. I think um, we only once. Yeah, only one time. Only on the pre-show match do we disagree. Uh, Darren's got New Day. I've got Sanity. So I guess we'll find out what's going on. We'll find out who wins the head-to-head. Head-to-head. For Extreme Rules, of course, we'll find out on the next episode. Uh, next episode for us also, folks, uh, is going to be all about Fest Wrestling. Uh, Fest Wrestling because Xmas in July 2 is going down on July 21st in downtown Gainesville, Florida. Uh, made event, Effie, the Fest champion, taking on Saeed Al-Sabah. Get your tickets at festwrestling.com, of course. We're going to have a couple people, a couple special guests on our next episode, folks. Uh, we're going to talk all about Fest Wrestling. We'll have our Fest Wrestling preview show, as we commonly do on this show. The uh, only wrestling podcast calls it right down the middle. The whole reference show. That's us, Darren. Um, so, uh, I know. I know who we are. <laughs> so are you going to tune in next week? Are you excited about Fest Wrestling? Are you excited about Extreme Rules? Did you enjoy the G1 from New Japan Pro Wrestling? Let us know. There's a lot of ways you can let us know. Find us on Twitter at Ref and Show Podcast, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. Find us on Facebook, like and share. We'd appreciate it. Send us a Gmail at show at gmail.com. T-H-E-W-H-O-L-E, R-E-F-N-S-H-O-W at gmail.com or... Or we are at Instagram, the whole Ref and Show. Come play with us on Instagram. And there you have it, folks. You know where to come play with us. There's no excuse not to. And until next week, my name is Perry Smith. And my name is... Hold. Wait for it. The Incredible Badass. That is Darren Beasley. And we'll check in on you next week. So long, folks. Bye-bye! Don't die.